Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. It's a free-for-all edition of the Politics Podcast. Woohoo! Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 7th of April, year of our Lord, 2019. And that was Dolly. I tell you what, Gatlinburg was fantastic. We'll talk about it in a second. But that was the uh, Stampede we went to, which is a dinner theater. Very entertaining. Worth the money. Today's show, as you heard, is a free-for-all. Do a quick thing on Russia. Little uh, Biden. Wow. The media... And Dems finally noticed that Biden's a groper. The AOC Climate Town Hall, our violent left section, hate tweets and news and social media nuggets. So, Gatlinburg in the spring was a new thing for me, and I gotta admit, it was fantastic. Um, beautiful mountains, there was a little snow still, we had a great little cabin. Um, and we did go to this show, and the Stampede is a Western theater gigantic, huge, like jumbotron, whole wall, LED screen. 
showing the prairies, buffalo, yada, yada, and they go through all these little vignettes and they do roping, or they don't do roping, but they do like barrel races, and it's set up for the north-south. So one side's the north, one side's the south, you compete, but by the end of the evening, everybody's together, everybody wins, yada, 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 it's kind of fun. Um, the food um, was good, I mean, it wasn't like the greatest food you've ever had, but it was a lot. I mean, it was scary amount of food. We're, we're talking a whole Cornish game hen is what you get. And, yeah, that's a lot of chow. Um, good dessert, yada, yada. So, if you ever head out there, we've, you know, the Opry is, is awesome. Um, we haven't done Hatfield McCoy's. It's a dinner theater also. But the Stampede's a must, especially if you have kids. Um, it's really worth <clears throat> worth going to. So, uh, let's get on into a little few things up front before we get into our sections. Uh, first and foremost, MB- MSDNC. Crumbling, folks. Their ratings are crumbling. It's been so bad for them and CNN that Tucker Carlson beat all of CNN's primetime combined, if you add them all up. Liberal sites are making fun of it. The New Republic posted an article on the MSDNC's Wild Ride by Jacob Baraka, which argued Maddow is frequently just as bonkers as Glenn Beck was on Fox. Maddow's primetime hour of overheated speculation lacks the antic sensibility and maudlin sentimentality, sentimentality excuse me, of, for instance, the pre-exile Glenn Beck, who had scribbled all of this maniac and intricate chalkboard theories of his, his conspiracies and vice versa with the studied passion of a coffee shop prophet. But Maddow and much of our network these days is frankly just as bonkers. Another article came from Slate's Willa Paskin. Um, she has traded the number one slot with Fox leading conspiratorial list Sean Hannity, the flip side of her cabal spawning coin, the Howard Benzilization or Glenn Beckification of Rachel Maddow is a reminder that partisan paranoia has bipartisan appeal. So you think a week later, I would be coming back to the media, letting it go, moving on to something else. Oh, oh no, that's not what they've done. We need to figure out what went wrong with the Mueller report, why, in all fairness to, to your network, why the media got it so wrong for so long. Uh, but it is time to talk about health care. It is time to talk about trade. It is time to talk about other things, while at the same time talking about why it came down the way that it did. It was so thorough uh, and yet so accurate. Uh, how did the media get it so wrong? I think the president's just s- uh, venting the same frustration a lot of people had um, when the Mueller report came out, and it turned out exactly like he said that it would. So now, well, as usual, you take the president at his word in his tweets. He wants it released, but I'm not sure what you're saying the media got wrong. But the media reported what with the investigation was going on. The, I, other than the people in the media on the left, not on this network, I don't know anybody who got anything wrong. The special counsel did not did not find a crime when it comes to conspiracy. There is a counterintelligence investigation. This is what we know from it. And I'm curious if you think the president is exonerated from all of these things, allegedly asking Comey for loyalty, allegedly telling Comey that he hoped he could let Flynn go, telling the Russian ambassador in the Oval Office that he got this Comey thing out of the way, the public asking for help. The president's behavior, while he's technically exonerated from a crime, 
Is he exonerated from his behavior as a president? Every president is judged on many things. Behavior is part of that. The electorate will be asked to make that judgment in 2020, and we'll see how they decide. But do you, do, what do you think on this? Yeah, I think that the president has been clear with the American people. He has been, I believe, falsely accused for the last two years, and Mueller has proven the fact that there was no collusion. Do you think he was falsely accused because some of his behavior led people to believe there was something more there? Wow, it's like nothing changed. New York Times, breaking news. Some of Robert Mueller's investigators see the report as more damaging for President Trump than the Attorney General indicated. Kimberly Strassel won't do what I read. The cough sourcing in the lead paragraph of the New York Times' new front-page cover-up conspiracy, conspiracy claim is Exhibit A of journalism that has lost all standards. Apparently, some of Mueller's investigators, all in quotes, have told associates their thoughts, and government officials and others who are familiar with those thoughts report a giant smear against A.G. Barr. How many is some two? How high up are these investigators? A principal attorney or the dude who does Lexus Nexus searches? Who are the associates? Other people on the Mueller team? An old college professor? A secretary in the law office? Are these government officials and executive branch or is it Adam Schiff? And explain, please explain others. What the heck is an other? A CNN analyst? Five. Here's another possible lead, one entirely plausible given the vagueness. A couple of Democratic partisans on Mueller's team are mad at Barr, and they told John Brennan of Fusion GPS, and they told us. Don't have a quite a, the same punch, does it? No. No, it doesn't. But why is it this way? Vox just came right out. Our emotional devastation over Trump winning the election drove us so insane, we believe the Russian collusion story. Fox reporter Sean Illing and Talibi agree the left are just far too devastated in the weeks following Trump elections to think straight. A lot of people simply did not want to believe that Trump was a legitimate president, that someone this vulgar and dishonest could win a presidential election, Illing said. And I think that disbelief and emotional devastation of this election colored a lot of our judgments. Absolutely. Look. Almost every pundit failed to see what was happening during the presidential election. No one thought this guy could win. It was almost 100% consensus in the industry. Nobody even accepted it as an idea that he could possibly win. And a lot of that had to do with the insularity of the media, Talibi agreed. Then when he became president, the insta- instantaneous decisions was to declare this presidency illegitimate and foreign That doesn't mean all these stories were made up. Of course, but I think there was a deep need to make sense of it all, to somehow not recognize the results, so a lot of people wanted to cancel it out. But that's not what the press is supposed to do. That's not our job. Oh, really? Because you're still doing it. Same time Vox ran this, ran the same fucking New York Times. Everybody ran that article. Some partisans who thought a ant was a molehill were upset. That Barr said what any other prosecutor would say. CBS poll, majority of Americans believe Russia probe was politically motivated. 54%. And you know this poll slanted left. So it's not like a bunch of Trump mega hat wearers are over there saying, yeah. But while I was out, there was some positive stuff. Here's Mary Catherine Ham just triggering an entire CNN panel. And Gutfeld... Oh, this is good. 
Look, I'm on board for as much of the Mueller report coming out as <clears throat> humanly possible, partly because we paid for it. But I'm also happy to talk about this story because it is good news. It's very good news for America that he did not collude with a hostile foreign government to come to president. It's very good news that he was not a foreign asset, um, that he is the duly elected president of the United States, whether you voted for him or not. That's good news for the country and our system of government. Um, and I think, look, some people will say you set the bar too low, Mary Catherine. You're very excited yeah. that he didn't collude. I didn't set that bar. Um, I think those same people forget how dead certain they were last week that Robert Mueller, the gold standard investigator, after two years of exhausted uh, investigation, was going to find that these bad and, in fact, treasonous things were true about the president. Um, but he didn't. Uh, and those are the top lines, and I look forward to learning more. Um, but, look, I supported this investigation throughout, and I'm excited to hear not only the top lines, but the rest of it. But I think there were some who fervently hoped for a different end to this. Mm-hmm. And I say that based on throughout, throughout this ride, the side-eye, occasional hostility, hey, Twitter, um, that I got <laughs> from merely expressing uncertainty or caution um, or, in fact, that we should measure our credibility of public servants like even John Brennan, who it turned out wasn't that credible. We should... Of course, measure that against the president's, who is not that credible as well, which we have done ad nauseum. Um, but now the good news is the adversaries of the president can go about the business of beating him in an election, if that's what they want to do, which is a more healthy uh, indulgence than the past two years. Um, or the consp- conspiracy theories about this. Or they can move on to the next theory, at which point, open to evidence once again. But since circumspection and caution has served me well for two years... I- so now the people who were dead wrong are now warning Trump against taking a victory lap like they have the license to give advice. The freaks who've been telling everyone that he's a spy are saying, don't be happy that he's not. Please forgive us if we aren't relieved that our country is in safe hands, you jackasses. But imagine, imagine if the outcome were reversed and Mueller concluded there was collusion. This would be CNN. This would be MSNBC. This would be the Washington Post. But sadly for them, it didn't turn out that way. Instead, no collusion. Hence, this is CNN. This is MSNBC. Uh, and this is the Washington Post. But I don't feel bad for the media, neither should you, because they never learn. This is what happens when you invest too much in something you want to be true. And now it's not to be. You're crushed. Few people have ever had a better week like Trump's. First, you're vindicated after a two-year witch hunt. Then this putz gets arrested for, like, everything. But if you think he's having a bad day, imagine being one of his clients on Stormy's list of life's dumb decisions. How amazing is it that doing porn ends up being number two after hiring that guy? 
He sucks, but the media is worse. After all, they gifted him the spotlight because he did their bidding. They loved him because he parroted their anti-Trump desires, so they overlooked the sleaze. So it's good to be Trump today. At CNN, their anchors have so much egg on their faces, Brian Stelter keeps chasing them around with a fork. That Gutfell one is just fucking spot on. Anyway, a couple other quick hits, and we'll get into the meat and potatoes. Federal judge rules against California large-capacity magazine ban. Yes, that's a judge in California. Hmm. House Democrats want oversight over Fox News editorial decisions. This is coming, this is from Elijah Cummings. Elijah Cummings. Because they tanked an extramarital affair story. They sent a letter, and they literally want to be able to know what the editors at Fox are doing. Just Fox. If that's not a key pointing to Jesus, our media is really bad, and so are Democrats for suppressing free speech, I don't know what is. I had a huge media section I put together. We're not going to do it today because this is a very long podcast. But I'll add more on this in that section because that's just unfucking believable that a politician, an American politician, wants to have oversight over what a network broadcasts. If you don't see that as a slippery slope, you must be a progressive. To our Biden section. In the wake of misconduct allegations by multiple women, former Vice President Joe Biden released a video on Wednesday. Take a listen. Folks, in the coming month, I expect to be talking to you about a whole lot of issues, and I'll always be direct with you. But today, I want to talk about gestures of support and encouragement that I've made to women and some men that have made them uncomfortable. And I always try to be, uh, in my career, I've always tried to make a human connection. That's my responsibility, I think. I shake hands, I hug people, I, I grab men and women by the shoulders and say, you can do this. And, and uh, whether they're women, men, young, old, it's, it's the way I've always been. It's the way I've tried to show I care about them and I'm listening. And over the years, knowing what I've been through, the things that I've faced, I've found that scores, if not hundreds of people have come up to me and reached out for solace and comfort, something, something, anything that may help them get through the tragedy they're going through. And, and, uh, and, and so I, it's just, just who, who I am. And I've never thought of politics as cold and antiseptic. I, I've always thought it about connecting with people. As like I said, shaking hands, uh, hands on the shoulder, a hug, uh, encouragement. And now, and now it, it's all about taking selfies together. Uh, you know, social norms have begun to change. They've shifted. And the boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I get it. I get it. I hear what they're saying. I understand it. And I'll be much more mindful. That's my responsibility. My responsibility, and I'll meet it. But I'll always believe governing, quite frankly, life for that matter, is about connecting, about connecting with people. That won't change, but I will be more mindful and respectful of people's personal space. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I've worked my whole life to empower women. I've worked my whole life to prevent abuse. I've written the and, and so the idea that I can't adjust to the fact that personal space is important, more important than it's ever been, is, is, is just not thinkable. I will. I will. 
Now, while I was on vacation, I heard this break, and the first thing that came to my mind, because I started hearing people's responses, and every once in a while I check in on Twitter and see liberals defending this bag of bones. Do you remember Kavanaugh? I was just going to play a montage of Kavanaugh, and they go, bite it. And that was going to be the section. Because during Kavanaugh, we must believe all women. He was a rapist. Etc., etc. But under Biden, wow, our media, top Democrats, Hollywood, as we'll see. Oh, no, 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 no. It's Biden. He's a great guy. He's Obama's grandfather, as Saturday Night Live said out last night. Literally, that's what they said. So it starts with an article, An Awkward Kiss Changed How I Saw Joe Biden. In 2014, I was a 35-year-old Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor in Nevada. The landscape wasn't looking good for my party that year. There was no high-profile national races to help boost turnout. And after the top candidate bowed out of the governor's race, none of the above ended up winning the Democratic primary. So when my campaign heard from Vice President Joe Biden's office that he was looking to help me and other Democrats in the state, I was grateful and flattered. His team offered to bring him to a campaign rally in an effort to help boost voter turnout. We set the date for November 1st, just three days before Election Day, in a state as large but sparsely populated as Nevada. It takes nonstop travel to connect with all the residents. You're lucky to get properly fed, much less look properly coiffed as a female candidate are often required to do. I was exhausted and short on time, so decided not to wash my hair that morning of the rally. I sprayed some dry shampoo in my hair, raced off to Reno Airport, and flew back to Las Vegas. The event proceeded as most political events do, coordinator chaos with random problems that no one can predict. I found Eva Longorio, co-founder of Latino Victory Project, roaming the parking lot trying to figure out how to get inside the Union Hall. My staff was running around town trying to purchase ferns because, according to Biden's team, no other vegetation was acceptable for the stage. The day of the 2014 rally, speakers gathered and took photos before going on stage. Here's the picture. Flores is on the right with Eva Longoria. More on that in a second. I found my way to the Holy Room for speakers where everyone was chatting, taking photos, and getting ready to speak to the hundreds of voters in the audience. Just before the speeches, we were ushered to the side of the stage where we were lined up in order of introduction. As I was taking deep breaths and preparing myself to make my case to the crowd, I felt two hands on my shoulder. I froze. Why is the Vice President of the United States touching me? I felt him get closer to me from behind. He leaned further in and inhaled my hair. I was mortified, I thought to myself. I didn't wash my hair today, and the Vice President of the United States is smelling it, and also, what in the actual fuck? Why is the Vice President of the United States smelling my hair? He proceeded to plant a big, slow kiss on the back of my head. My brain couldn't process that what was happening. I was embarrassed. I was shocked. I was confused. There was a Spanish saying, Tragma tierra. It means, earth swallow me whole. I couldn't move and I couldn't say anything. I wanted nothing more than to get Biden away from me. My name was called and I was never happier to get on the stage in front of the audience. I'm not ready anymore. Now understand, I'm just going to cut to the chase. That picture's on her wall. She never said anything about this five years ago. But she's got the Beto bug. 
So that's how this came out. Don't listen to the media that some pro-Trump group's doing this. No. It's Beto people. And the lady who started it, now there's been like six or seven that have come out. Oh, no, 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 no. She was all for this. It's Joe Biden. It's, it's Obama's grandpa. I'm good with this. I'm going to put this on my fucking wall. But now that he wants to go in the race, oh, no, 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 no. It's time to get rid of those Obama flax. And so she puts this out. Vox. Lucy Flores isn't alone. Joe Biden got a long history of touching women inappropriately. Somebody replies, the media gave him a pass for years. In 2020, it won't. Vox is one of the biggest offenders. Apparently, they don't want to run old white guys. Yeah, no, they don't. And then from all, believe all women to consider some women, Alyssa Milano defends inappropriate Joe Biden. Okay, Miss Milano, which one is it? Do we believe all women or do we just use the maxim to go after men who disagree with us politically? Alyssa Milano took on Twitter on Monday to post her unconditional support of former Vice President Joe Biden, who has been accused of inappropriate behavior by several women, and it seems strangely out of character for the vocal Me Too maiden. Milano began a long Twitter thread about her friend Joe Biden and how he's just misunderstood. I am proud to call Joe Biden a friend. He has been a leader and a champion on fighting violence against women for many years. And I've been fortunate to accompany him to events with survivors where he has listened to their stories and empathized with them. Kavanaugh, hang that motherfucker. He's a goddamn rapist. He's a date raper. Believe all women. Joe Biden, oh no, 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 no. And... Folks, if you're a conservative, you've known this for decades. Biden's groped little kids. There's been photos of him dry-humping people, for fuck's sake. But how's the media playing this? You know how they're playing it. Washington Post describes Biden creepiness with women as affectionate. New York Times defends Biden's hands-on reputation. Some charges are manufactured. Every single fucking Kavanaugh complaint has been proven false. There are people that are being charged with false report. I never heard the New York Times say it. So in there, second woman on Monday accused Joseph R. Biden of touching her in a way that made her feel uncomfortable, intensifying the scrutiny, and blah, 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 blah. The woman, Amy Lepos, said in an interview with Hartford Current that Mr. Biden put his hands around my neck and pulled me in to rub noses. Yeah. And then the Flores. Biden spokesman Russo signed an image of Mr. Biden holding the shoulders of Stephanie Carter, the wife of former Defense Secretary Ashton Carter, and another Mrs. Biden... Mr. Biden kissing the head of Senator Chris Coons' daughter, arguing that the criticism of the former vice president was rooted in inaccurate assumptions. Mr. Russo pointed out that much of the criticism by Mr. Biden and Connor has come from Republicans. No, it hasn't. Mr. Biden's advisors believe that more the right pushes images of him real or fake, the more it will help them persuade Democrats that Republicans are trying to derail potential challengers and perform best in polls against President Trump. No, not true. It's Beto people. David Burbs, kudos to the New York Times Department of Euphemisms and Tactile Politics. Because that's actually what they said. With a picture of a biker chick sitting on fucking his lap. 
And the husband looking over like, what the fuck is happening? This man is dry humping. He's, he's fucking dry humping my wife. But everybody came to the fence. Andrea Mitchell, J.W. Peters, New York Times on Biden. He's somebody that can punch at Trump in a way that others would struggle to do with precincts. Precincts is a big thing when going up against Donald Trump, a physical presence. Hmm. Then there's this whole thing, New York Times, what we're not talking about when we talk about Joe Biden. Sexual harassment is a problem. Dismissing women ideas is a more pervasive problem. Jennifer Senior, all right? By the way, this lady also has pictures up of Biden. This week, it's Joe Biden's turn, the Me Too barrel, and like many Democrats, I'm torn about what to think. The allegations by Lucy Flores that in 2014, blah, 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 can I be dismissed, blah, 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 grim nuzzling following just 72 hours later, blah, 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 multiple photos montage online suggest a similar pattern. Montages online. You people. How the fuck haven't you seen this guy doing this? He's been doing it for decades. And so we have another debate about male decency and respect trying to weigh creepiness against our exuberant affections, handsiness against glad-handing, all the while remembering that this is Joe Biden we're talking about, a real tail politics guy from another era, known for arm grabs and bear hugs. You see this all the time on Senate floor, the shoulder squeezing, the close talking. He is by nature a physically expressive fellow. Hugs are not unfamiliar to him, and he seems to sense that when people are feeling fragile, as Stephanie Carter, the wife of Ash Carter, defense secretary, and Barack Obama wrote an essay for Medium, Knowing that the creepy Uncle Joe photo features her as the recipient of a shoulder rub is quite welcome. Thank you very much. The gray zone allegations are, of course, still worth examining, but because they are salacious, because they are embodied, because we can actually see them, I wonder if we spend more time discussing them than other gray zone problems that, in my view, is far more pervasive and often less easily solved with a sharp rebuke or a complaint to human resources. Not being taken seriously. Because here's the truth. Some of the women I know have Me Too stories, but most of the women I know have stories of feeling dismissed, invisible, less than. Oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yippers. What are they talking about? They're talking about seeing their ideas gain traction in a meeting only after a man has said them, or being told after they've asserted themselves in a meeting that they dominated, or at least talked too much. They're talking about seeing weeks or months of work being casually dismissed by their superiors after he's had a 10-minute conversation with a male colleague. They're talking about being mansplained. Personally, I've been mansplained about my own book and about Congress, which I covered on over 20 years. You know what that didn't help? Saying, hey, I wrote a book about that. Or, hey, I saw my career at the Hill. Talking about contradicting a male colleague and watching him get really mad. Talking about being called boastful when they're invoking a necessary credential. Talking about having their recollections dismissed until they're Googled. Talking about given the softer, detailed-oriented responsibility while the fellows are delegated the big thing. They're talking about chatting with other women and male colleagues walk by planning a rebellion, he asks. That admittedly happened earlier in the career. Most of the women I've talked to have men stopped doing that, I wonder. Maybe, but probably not. Many of these problems are happening in organizations with supposed enlightened politics. They can still have feudal habits. Note what I'm not mentioning. Ambition equals pushiness. Too obvious! And she ends with a motherhood penalty. It wasn't good enough just to go after Kavanaugh. It's not just good enough to say Joe Biden's creepy, but he's a Democrat. We love him. Let's go about every male. Because what she's really saying, and this is fourth wave feminism. I actually researched the different waves. They're supposedly not in a way, but I call it the fourth wave because they like the wave concept. 
This is the, I'm a woman, you must shut your fucking yap hole, and whatever I say goes. That's what these women want. They hate men. They want us all to be fucking pajama boys and be relegated to just sitting in a room and saying, yes, you're the smartest person in the room because you're a progressive. No, I do not like your tits. I do not have a peanuts. I walk in every day tucked. That, that's what they want. It's, it's fucking hilarious. The different evolutions as I was out on vacation of this story to the distilled down, it's motherfucking Republicans. No, it's not. It's the next wave Democrats. They don't want the Bidenism. This is how they push away the Obama era because they didn't really do anything for them. They didn't do the hard work of getting rid of cow farts and fucking making everybody live in a cave and all the social shit. I mean, Obama had to evolve on gay marriage. They want everybody to get free tranny surgeries. I mean, seriously, folks. It's bullshit. And this Flores who brought it up and all these women coming out are not Republicans. They're Democrats. The old guard is getting the boot. These same people who would have loved to have their fucking dry shampoo smelled by Uncle Joe now are pissed. And the worst part, as we go out of this section, into the media montage that I must play of them defending this fucking cretin, they ignored this. Less than this has happened. We have talked about Mike Pence, the Vice President of the United States, being a piece of shit because he won't be in a room alone with a woman. He doesn't go out and eat with his female colleagues unless male colleagues are there. He lives by the old school, treat women with respect, open doors kind of concept. He's a piece of shit. He's the bad guy. But now we finally notice Uncle Joe has dry humped half the females in America. Mike Pence looking good now there, Progs? Yeah, I think he is. So we'll go into our media, and we'll go straight in to AOC. Tonight, a second woman, a former Democratic campaign volunteer, posting on Facebook that Joe Biden touched her inappropriately at a Connecticut fundraiser. Amy Lapo saying he rubbed noses with her in 2009 unwanted contact she described as not sexual in a statement saying uninvited affection is not okay objectifying women is not okay her account not verified by nbc news she said she came forward after former nevada candidate lucy flores said biden made her uncomfortable in 2014 he leans down smells my hair and then plants this big long kiss on the top of my head. I'm not in any way suggesting that I felt sexually assaulted or sexually harassed. I felt invaded. Biden issued a statement that I have offered countless handshakes, hugs, expressions of affection, support and comfort, and not once never did I believe I acted inappropriately. Defending him, former Defense Secretary Ash Carter's wife Stephanie, for this much criticized shoulder rub in 2015. She writes he was just a close friend offering support. Biden's spokesman today blasting what he calls a cottage industry of lies about the former vice president, including this cropped image with a boy. In fact, it was Biden comforting his grandson at Beau Biden's funeral. Now all of it a 2020 campaign issue. Have you ever seen him being too huggy, um, too touchy-feely? I personally haven't seen that. I believe Lucy Flores and 
Joe Biden needs to give an answer. I have no reason not to believe Lucy. Biden is being hit with all this before he's even announced he's running. His allies believe it's because he's polling way ahead of the field and is a likely front runner. It is a big part of who he is, that he hugs people and connects with people and talks to people. Delaware Senator Chris Coons came to his mentor's defense today. Coons insisted his daughter was not disturbed by this televised nuzzle from former Vice President Joe Biden in 2015. There was a huge bank of cameras, about 50. And Joe, who knows her, leaned forward and whispered some encouragement, telling her that she was doing great, that she looked wonderful. Did his actions make her feel uncomfortable? No. Uh, My children have known Joe Biden their whole lives. But with a presidential bid on the line, Mr. Biden's intimate style is now taking a toll. Other Democratic presidential hopefuls steered clear today. It's good to see you today. As Mr. Biden's team pushed back, issuing quotes from female friends, aides and colleagues who said he never once crossed the line. Mr. Biden himself said it was never his intention to make anyone uncomfortable. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi took her longtime ally to task today, urging him to say more. So to say I'm sorry that you were offended is not an apology. Pelosi added that none of this disqualifies Mr. Biden from a White House bid, but she did suggest that he join her in what she called the straight arm club, keeping at least this much distance between himself and colleagues and supporters. Karen, I think Karen Tumbley makes a really good point when she says Joe needs to knock it out if he does campaign. New new day, yeah. uh, new campaign trail, new reality. Uh, well, but, I think but, that's but, sad. But what's that? I think that's sad. I think the next time I see Joe Biden, if he doesn't hug me and give me a kiss and hold my hand while we're talking to you, uh, that's a new Joe Biden, and that's not the Joe Biden I knew. He's a nice guy. He's not a predator, and this is ridiculous. Let me just say it. This is ridiculous. It's completely, it's, the whole thing has gotten, the conversation has gotten out of control. And Democrats and those on the left who want to tweet me today and go nuts and get all woke, you're eating your young, you're eating those who can beat Trump, you're killing the very people who have been pushing women ahead, who have been fighting for equal pay who have been doing everything they can to respect women in their lives. And we're going to go after Joe Biden for being affectionate to women of all ages, to men as well. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I don't understand it. Now, should she have spoken to him about this before she went on television about it? Or, I mean, is it, you know, listen... In the old days, we would call Joe, some folks of a certain age would say he's a little overly familiar. Yeah. Okay. But most politicians, when they're, you know, doing this with you and, you know, they are. And Joe is, Joe is a hands-on kind of guy. Yeah, he is. But no one, I've never heard anyone, and she said she felt violated, and I, I have to take her at her word, but it would have been nice if she had turned him and said, you know what, Jay, I don't really like this. Please don't do this or not. Mr. Vice President, I'm not really comfortable with that. Something because he's standing right there. No, it's hard to say to somebody who's sniffing No, it's not. Hair. Somebody touches you well, inappropriately. But it wasn't. That's the point. 
She does not say it rises to the level of sexual assault or anything right. of that nature. She yeah. does not claim this is a Me Too moment. So I think we need to be very clear on that because I think some people are interpreting it that well, way. And let's also but, be but, clear but that But that's the point. Mm -hmm. That's the point, yeah. is to get people to think about mm -hmm. it like that. Mm -hmm. It does not rise to any of those things. No, it's a long way from smelling your hair to grabbing your hoo-ha. I mean, let's tell the truth. <laughs> That's what he's like. And I feel it would be really unfortunate if we got rid of everybody who was just an affectionate kind of person. We, you know, those are nice yeah. people, too. So I don't know that we will see any more smelling of hair and kisses well, on the I'm forehead. So, but, but and see, that, that pisses me off. Yeah. I'm telling you Which because, part? well, I don't want Joe to stop doing that. I don't either. You know? I'm just going to say yeah. one thing really yeah. quick. Go ahead. There's a certain kind of retail politician that loves people. I would put Bill Clinton in that category. Yeah. I would yeah. put my father in that category. I would certainly put Joe Biden in that category. When he came on this show, he's the only politician, other than my father, to go into the crowd and shake everyone's That's hand. That's true. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, that means something when you're in Iowa. And I'm sorry, but I just, when I heard this... I read her entire statement. I do agree women should be heard. I'm sorry. Yes. I worked at Fox News during the Roger Ailes time. There's a very big difference between... You know, and, and they wave this wand and they say, oh, it's going to cost, uh, you know, a bazillion dollars. Like, they sound like Dr. Evil, right, like $100 yeah. million. Dollars. And how about we start by fully, fun fully funding the, the pensions of coal miners in West Virginia? How about... How about we start by rebuilding Flint? You know, let's just start yeah. right. now. You know, on the events of September 11, 2001, thousands of Americans died in one of the in the largest uh, terrorist attack on U.S. soil, and our national response whether we agree with it or not, our national response was to go to war in one, then eventually two countries. 3,000 Americans died in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Where is our response? Yeah, or in my party, I think. Yeah, I mean, on the concern trolling, there are people that you guys issued an FAQ. It had some things that people yeah. thought were ridiculous and radical, like yeah, totally. anyone that was uh, unable or unwilling to work would mm -hmm. be guaranteed a job. Yeah. The FAQ was withdrawn and said it was preliminary, a draft. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of fight about that. Like, yeah. do, you, do you think you guys rolled it out the right way? Did you well, bring it out any on yourself? What I will say is that there, I definitely had a staffer that had a very bad day at work. <laughs> and... Um, and did release a, a working draft early. So I get that that's what they're seizing on. Um, but really what we need to do is have a serious conversation. And, um, and even in, in those draft versions, what they were talking about and, uh, is really about the fact that we need to innovate on our technology. You know, right. obviously, like I had a Stafford, you know, release a document that talked about cow flatulence, but... Um, which is an issue, I just want to say. We need to innovate on our technology. You know, right. obviously, like, I had a Stafford, you know, release a document that talked about cow flatulence, but... Um, which is an issue, I just want to say. Which is an issue. It sounds ridiculous, but it literally is but an it, issue. But it actually is an issue when it comes to contributing to methane. Right. But that doesn't mean you end cows. It means that we need... <laughs> 
<laughs> what it means is that we need to innovate and change yes. our our grain, uh, our our cow grain from which you know they feed in, in these troughs. That yep. we need to uh, really take a look at regenerative agriculture. Like these are our solutions. Right. Yeah. These are our solutions. First thing, what 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 connects you to this? So this issue is not just about our climate. First and foremost, we need to save ourselves, period. There will be no future for the Bronx. There will be no livable future for generations coming for any part of this country in a way that is better than the lot that we have today if we don't address this issue urgently and on the scale of the problem. But how I access this issue is that I started looking at all of our problems. We have runaway income inequality. We are at one of our most unequal points, uh, economically speaking, in American history. We are dealing with a crisis of, of how our economy is even made up. Our economy is increasingly financialized, which means we are making profits off of interest, off of leasing your phone, off of doing all of these things, but we aren't producing and we aren't innovating, innovating in the way that we need to as an economy. And I also was looking at our issues of social justice, social and racial justice, of which we are, um, we, which we have a nexus here in the Bronx. And what I started thinking about to myself was, listen, we're looking at all of these issues, Medicare for all, a living wage, tuition-free public colleges and universities, and there's this false idea that we need to put them all in a line and say, do this or do that. Do you care about health care or do you care about, um, about the economy or jobs? And then I started to realize that these are not different problems. These are all part of the same problem. And this is, uh, in the past, when we've confronted this type of stagnation and this type of systemic threat as a country, first of all, we've been here before. We've been here before with the Great Depression. We've been here before with World War II, even the Cold War. And the answer has been an ambitious and directed mobilization of the American economy to direct and, and solve our problem, our biggest problem. And historically speaking, like these are our solutions. Right. These are our solutions. Honesty up front to be totally transparent. Like the media is not I did not watch it. I was going to, but I I, I didn't. And I just got the sound bites. So Savander does a good takedown, doubles down the threat that Earth is facing from cow farts. We need to innovate and change our grain, uh, our cow grain from what you know they feed in these trials. We need to look at regenerative agriculture. These are so our solutions. Regenerative agriculture, as I was schooled by Ben Shapiro, is basically using multiple crops on something. It's fucking... It, just a made-up bunch of bullshit. During the event, the freshman congressman made multiple false claims, ex- including a repeated claim that the Earth is facing cataclysmic climate disasters if carbon emissions are not drastically cut in the next 12 years. We have an expiration date, and the IPCC report says we got 12 years to turn it around, blah, blah, blah. 12 years. My concern is we're going to be the frog in the pot of boiling water, and our kids are doomed. We've already proven that's wrong. Top scientists said that's not the truth. We've, we've already covered this. There's no end date on the planet. Um, then another big one that came out in this was, uh, 
Let me find it. They're talking about there's just a maybe 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 I remember hearing that on the road and going, he was dead. Tom Elliott, according to AOC, Congress amended the Constitution to prevent the FDR being reelected. Whole world just bashed her. She didn't care. Casey Cortez tried to brush off recent expert analysis of her plan, which said admitted to being a massive government takeover of the private industries that estimated it would cost $93 trillion. The wave this wand and say, oh, it's going to cost a bazillion dollars like they sound like Dr. Evil, Cortez said. You know, let's just start now. Casey Cortez attempts to downplay economic devastation their plan would cause. Comes up to the American Action Forum concluded. The Green New Deal is clearly very expensive. It's further expansion of the federal government's role as some of what most drastic decisions of daily life, however, would likely have a more lasting and damaging impact than an enormous price tag. The $93 trillion price tag amounts to over 650000 per U.S. household over a 10-year span and covers a low-carbon electricity grid, net-zero emission transportation system, guaranteed jobs, uniform health care, blah, 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 blah. The AFL-CIO, America's largest organized labor group, ripped AOC's Green New Deal last month, writing that it's far too short, short on specific solutions to speak to the job of our members and the critical selections of our economy. Yeah. I, I What the fuck? Then she compared climate change to 9-11 terrorist attack, which resulted in the deaths of 3,000 Indian Americans. On the event of September 11, 2001, thousands of Americans died in the largest terror attack in U.S. soil. Our nation response was war in one, then eventually two countries. 3,000 Americans died in Puerto Rico due to Hurricane Maria. Where's their response? Which the whole world was like, nuke the weather. Let's nuke hurricanes. <laughs> it's pretty fucking funny. She spoke dismissively about her colleagues portraying herself as a populist leader of the party. The way the GND was designed, and I encourage everyone to actually look it up because we intentionally wrote it for the people of the U.S. Because I'm not here to convince my colleagues. I'm here to go straight to the electorate. Yeah. Hmm. Problem is, not even Dems are behind this. As we go on to a music break, and... Uh, what am I playing today? I got a comment from, I think it was Zach in Tennessee, and he's right. I haven't been really saying what the songs are, so if you like a song, it doesn't really help you, because I'm like fucking not telling you what that song is. And if I seem a little distracted today, I, I, I got a new sound booth, which sounds like it's a little loud, so I might have to take it back down a notch, but... um I got a computer mount. So I have two monitors mounted and they're really close. And on top of that, I condensed all the soundproofing. So it's really, really close, but uh, I, I digress. Uh, I'm going to play today Sarah Bareilles. All right. There's two songs you'll have heard of Love Song, and the other one is The Girl She Used to Be or She Used to Be Mine or some fucking shit. It's really good. Um, so that, that was it. And, and the last couple, it's been perfect circle, a couple old song, highly suspect, but 
I promise going forward I'll, I will say what the music is. So we're going to listen to uh, Representative Rose, who says it's a massive socialist economy policy, not possible, not economically feasible. There's no need to lie to the voters. He's an army vet. He's a damn and he's 32, and he's looking at her like she's a crackhead. So we'll listen to that on the way out. Listen to this uh, Sarah Bareilles. And then we're going to come into another one of her Instagram stupidos where she's literally chewing like a cow. Because I want to discuss that. Because, well, I'll wait for the punchline on the other side. Enjoy. All of these things have to happen, and they have to happen quickly. This is not the time for... Uh, milk toast incrementalism. It just isn't. But with that being said, though, nothing about what I just said uh, would provide a justification for a massive socialist economic policy platform. Just not needed. Okay, so we can have a separate discussion, a separate debate about whether this is the time and whether America needs those types of economic policy prescriptions, guaranteed job, job guarantees, housing guarantees, things that on its face sound good, but I just do not believe are possible. They're not economically feasible. There's no need to lie to voters right now. We don't need the democratic version of repeal and replace. We don't need that. Let's deal with It's not simple to say Most days I don't recognize me That these shoes and this apron That place and its patrons Have taken more than I gave them It's not easy to know I'm not anything I used to be, although it's true I was never attention sweet center I still remember that girl She's imperfect, but she tries She is good, but she lies She is hard on herself She is broken and won't ask for help She is messy, but she's kind She is lonely Most of the time she is all of this Mixed up and baked in a beautiful pie She is gone, but she used to be Sometimes life just slips in through a back door And carves out a person and makes you believe it's all true And now I've got you And you're not what I asked for If I'm honest, I know I would give it all
How many years until the world ends again? We have 12 years left to cut emissions by at least 50%, if not more. And for everyone who wants to make a joke about that, you may laugh, but your grandkids will not. So, understand that the internet documents everything. And for all those people, you know, you want to look about, you want to talk about looking in the back of history, looking backwards. You look back and you open history books on the civil rights movement, and you see those folks who are protesting against the ability for African Americans and black Americans to have the right to vote. And they would hold up these bigoted signs and they would hold up signs that said things like, what about white rights and like all of this stuff in, 19, in the 1950s, 1960s. So just know that in the present day, there are a lot of people who hide the fact that their families and that their grandparents fought again against principles of equal rights in the United States. Not a hundred years ago, not 80 years ago, but in this generation's lifetime. So just know that while a lot of people can hide that their grandparents did that in the civil rights movement, you should also know that the internet documents everything and your grandchildren will not be able to hide the fact that you fought against acknowledging and taking bold actions on climate change. And people who are trying to mock and delay this moment, I mean, I just feel bad for you. I just pity you for your role in history right now. Um, would you support a female draft? So long as we have a draft, I support people of all genders being drafted. Equality. children in the border and inject them with drugs. That's not a mistake. That is a deliberate policy to attack people based on their national origin. That's not a mistake. That's just hatred. That's just cruelty. That's just wrong. 8,000 people watch that. Just watch that. How the fuck can you watch that? She was building like IKEA furniture and gnawing on vegetables. I mean... How?
How have you gotten so fucking brain dead politically that you think that's great? I mean, once again, I'm not a Trump person. It's entertaining occasionally to listen to rip on the media. I enjoy it. And I, I know it's childish, but I think it's funny when a politician says shit like, you know, Necklace Joe or whatever the fuck he comes up with these crazy names. I mean, I think it's cute, but... Excuse me, I almost burped on the air. Um, I, I couldn't watch that. And it's factless. It's all factless. Nothing this woman says is related in facts. Fastest thinning Greenland glacier threw NASA scientists for a loop because it's growing. They've all had confirmation bias. They all think this shit. Now we're starting to find out half the stats were made up. All the shit's faked. They're exaggerating shit. We haven't even gone a full fucking degree. I mean, I'm not a denier. I know climate has changed. It's My parents have AC in Oregon. You never needed that. And we get a lot of snow and it's rainy here. And I understand that. But to say we need to change, spend $93 trillion and change our whole system, no. But the media is so in. USA Today, don't have kids. USA Today climate freakout, war, famine, and drought. Not long after spiking an op-ed because of his decision to not use reliable conservative sources, USA Today published a cover story Tuesday that came across more an op-ed than actual news. The story titled, Climate Change, War, Famine, Drought, Make More Women Not Want Children, asked the question, is a future simply too horrific to bring children into? Who the fuck thinks that way? I mean, seriously, I understand it was cool initially, but they had more wildfires, droughts, floods, rising sea levels, and lost almost all the coral reefs. Don't have kids. Commit suicide. And their main champion hit with another FEC violation. Omar's been hit with another FEC violation. I mean, it's just fucking crazy. For a side note, because I'm not really doing a 2020 today, Camilla Harris has caused a lot of us to go through individual and group therapy to feel despair and depression, anxiety, and fear. These last two years and some months have certainly caused a lot of us to start speaking to inanimate objects called the television, Harris said, drawing laughter from the crowd, and to shout at that thing. It has caused a lot of us to go through individual and group therapy. It has caused a lot of us to feel a bit of despair and depression, anxiety, and fear. And I say don't let the bad guy win. Don't let them win when they are spewing hate and trying to divide us. That's why. These people were so caught into, we'll never have a Republican president again. We're just going to have people of color. That when Trump won, it threw their worldview into a loop. So it makes sense that you believe the world's ending in 12 years because you thought the world's ending right fucking now because Trump's president. It makes sense that you would listen to a chopping horse talk on Instagram because she's so cool. She's Jenny from the block. So, in line with it, she went to an all-black audience. And, and I want you to listen to AOC go to full-fledged Jenny on the block. And ask yourself, isn't this the definition of pandering? This is what building power looks like. 
looks like. This is what changing the country looks like. This is what organizing looks like. This is what building power looks like. This is what changing the country looks like. It's when we choose to show up and occupy the room and talk about the things that matter most, talking about our future. You know, I, Reverend, you bring up a, a funny anecdote, and I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding clothes for other people to buy. There is nothing wrong with preparing the food that your neighbors will eat. There is nothing wrong with driving the buses that take your family to work. Does that sound familiar? Because Benny, Ryan, Savandra, about every conservative in the world, spoon-fed this to the world. This is what organizing looks like. This is what building power looks like. This is what changing the country looks like. It's when we choose to show up and occupy the room and talk about the things that matter most, talking about our future. You know, I, Reverend, you bring up a, a funny anecdote, and I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding clothes for other people to buy. There is nothing wrong with preparing the food that your neighbors will eat. There is nothing wrong with driving the buses that take your family to work. I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. And the chair of all the mayors in the country, Mayor Palmer from Trenton, New Jersey. I'm aware I may not be the youngest candidate in this race, but I have one big advantage. I've been coloring my hair for years. No. You're not going to see me turn white in the White House. All right. Uh, and I think there was a bit of a... God, it's like deja fucking view. And if you're really from the Bronx, why do you have to do that? I mean, I just think it's so funny as Democrats that you allow your politicians to do that. Obama did it. He dropped the R. He got all down with the hood. Guy from Yale. He wouldn't even know what the hood was if he was wearing the hood from his hoodie. Dude was a fucking entitled kid. Grew up in fucking Hawaii. There's not a lot of hood in Hawaii. Seriously. So, we'll end our little AOC montage with Tucker destroying her. And we'll go straight in to our violent left section. Well, that's the difference between you and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is a highly decent person. Listen to her explain how she doesn't resort to ad hominem attacks, unlike her enemies, who, by the way, are xenophobic white supremacists. We're actually talking about something substantive. We're not calling anyone names. People say Tea Party of the Left, and I find this phrase very interesting, this phrasing very interesting, because the grounding of the Tea Party was xenophobia, the underpinnings of white supremacy. Um, 
Yeah, stop with the name calling, you racist white supremacist xenophobe. <laughs> so it's official. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a moron and nasty and more self-righteous than any televangelist who ever preached a sermon on cable access. She is not impressive. She's awful. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right, to the right. All punches are not equal morally. God so loved his people that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God does not love this world. God never sent Jesus to die for this world. Jesus died because he was 2,000 years too soon to bring about the end of the civilization of the Jews. He never was on no cross. There was no Calvary for that Jesus. Early one Saturday morning, our Savior taught us when he found out he was 2,000 years too soon to end the civilization of the Jews, he decided that he would give his life for the truth that he taught, that his name would live until the one that he prefigured came into existence. And that's why the Quran says, Jesus and his mother Mary were a sign. Jesus didn't die on Calvary. He died in front of an old Jew's store that was boarded up. And the Roman soldiers came to get him. Do you remember Sandra Fluke? I go back to it every podcast because it's just right there. It's like low-hanging fruit. Rush Limbaugh calls her a slut. It leads our evening news. This motherfucking anti-Semitic, unreligious person that Barack Obama's linked to, every 2020 candidate who's African American's linked to, the Democratic Party's linked to, Women's March is linked to, that's some bullshit. I didn't make your TV. He's a fucking racist anti-Semite. That is your Democratic Party. That, that is ten times worse 
than anything David Duke ever said because nobody listens to David Duke. Nobody follows David Duke. But when David Duke says Trump's a good guy, you know about it. If he says, I'm voting for this person, you know about it. When those motherfuckers marched to their tiki torches in Charlottesville, every conservative American was held accountable. But that guy goes out every fucking week and says some horrible shit. Nothing happens. And you say, oh, you're exaggerating, Tony. Pennsylvania State Dam calls Christian prayer, prayer bigoted, applauds Quran reading uh, at the State House session. State Representative Jason Dawkins, another Muslim lawmaker, opened the session Tuesday by reading from the Quran, prompting applause in the chamber. The favored religion on the left is one that moved some of its adherents to wage war against the West for 1,400 years, as the history of jihad illustrates in detail. It's just a coincidence that the left seems to oppose every counter-terror and national security measure, and always to denigrate judo-christian traditions judeo excuse me i always say judo uh, while exalting islam it's so stupid that i say that. i don't know why i say that pennsylvania state dam slams republican prayer is offensive bigoted by lucas melakis at fox news march 27 2019 pennsylvania state democrats branded as offensive a republican decision monday to open a voting session with a prayer and a thank you to president trump for supporting israel while some dems claim to be horrified by the remarks and accusing the female lawmaker of islamophobia state representative stephanie bowakets a republican and associate pastor's wife who was elected to the state house in november was accused of bigotry after she invoked the name of jesus at least 13 times. So then they applaud the Quran. Huh. Then Obama, terrified Jew hating congresswoman, I'm proud of you. Yeah, that's Tlaib. Yeah. Linda Saucer, literally called by Jihad against Trump, and said Jews should not be humanized. Is he proud of her tithes to care? I guess so. Muslim soldier plans to sue army over a job after she's caught breaking the rules. Specialist Cecilia Valdandinos has demoted, was demoted this week after she was caught breaking army regulation. Female mem- members of the army are required to wear their head hair in a bun or above the collar. She was wearing her job with her hair down. She was told not to do it. Now she's suing the army for ant- uh, being Islamophobic, basically. That's like three of a million, of a million this week, of more anti-Semitism that nobody seems to care. They just don't care. The media won't cover it. Democrats don't care. Nobody just seems to care. And, and I ask, could you get away with that if you're a Republican? Nah, I, 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 I just don't think so. To immigration. A New York immigrant rights advocate uh, prevented ICE officers from arresting two undocumented immigrants in his car. They pulled him over and showed him what they claimed was arrest paperwork. Now he pushed back, signing the Constitution. Listen to this. Those are not warrants of arrest, sir. Yes, they are, sir. Warrant of arrest of alien. Yeah, warrant of arrest of alien. Alien not signed by a judge. It's not a judicial warrant. I have no obligation to oblige by that this warrant. Is a, this is a lawful warrant. Did Signed by a judge of the Immigration and Nationality Act and an official designated with that authority. That's not a warrant. That is a warrant. No, it's not. It's a Department of Homeland Security order. It's a warrant. Okay. No, it's not a warrant. It's not a warrant under the Constitution of the United States. It's a warrant under the Immigration and Nationality Act of the United States. 
okay, that's fine, but it's not under the Constitution. You have no jurisdiction over me as a citizen. I'm the driver of this vehicle. What was the, what was the reaction from the officer at the end of the day when you had gone through this whole spiel? First of all, thank you for having me and shedding light on this important issue. I think the reaction of the officer, he was quite surprised because the normal tactics that ICE uses to violate the rights of our neighbors uh, did not work here because I knew my rights, as did the passengers of my vehicle. So uh, the Washington Post reports that um, essentially it wasn't the virtue of your argument, but it was the, the interference that uh, urged these two ICE officers to pull back. They say in a statement to the Post that ICE spokesman said an individual interfered with the efforts of deportation officers who sought to uh, get these two people out of your, your vehicle. That interference caused the officers to depart instead of further disruption. What's your reaction to that? That it was the interference that, uh, that caused them to pull back, not the virtue of, of your argument. What I would say is that the only thing uh, that was interfered with is the life of our community members. Of course, ICE has absolutely no regard for disrupting the lives of community members, of immigrants in our country. And I really do believe that it was the fact that they had no authority because we knew our rights and because there was no judicial warrant. And that's why they left the scene. So what is the training that you're going through that prepared you for this? And how can other people um, who are in this position kind of know what their rights under the Constitution are? And exercising those rights could be the difference between our neighbors going home to their families at night or being thrust into the deportation pipeline. I really don't believe that there's enough Know Your Rights education on a variety of issues in this country, and I believe the more people who know their rights, uh, the stronger our rights become collectively. All right, Brian McCormack, thanks for being with us. Uh, this uh, video that was posted is getting a strong reaction online mm -hmm. and a response there from, from ISIS. Tonight, the president tries to sell a crisis that the facts tell us does not exist. Donald Trump may be inventing a national security crisis on the border. So it's a fake crisis. There's not a crisis. Actually, it's pretty much under control. If you say it enough, will it be so? Quote, no one is saying this is a crisis except them. They're playing the public for suckers. He's lied so much about the realities of what he's calling a crisis. Donald Trump is manufacturing a national security crisis. A crisis that has been completely manufactured. As I said, manufactured crisis meant to distract you from anything else, like Russia. So, Jim, so any sign of a crisis where you are? Yeah. Uh, no sign of a crisis, Wolf. There is not a border crisis. And even if there were, the wall would not be the solution. Maybe we don't need a wall. We don't need a wall. Do we even need a wall anymore, this wall that the president wants to build? If, if it's down 40 percent, I guess you don't need a wall anymore. The wall is not the answer. And a wall uh, is whoa, whoa, not whoa, 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 whoa. the answer. The evidence is pretty clear the wall won't do anything. So a border wall won't actually sure. solve the problem. The wall wouldn't make any difference. A wall that won't solve his manufactured crisis at the border. Billions for a wall that isn't necessary. A wall won't solve that. Joining me now, the author of Why Walls Won't Work. You know, security experts agree that it is an ineffective waste of money. And then many immigration experts say the wall won't solve the problem anyway. But a wall, all the experts say, is not what just stops it. Despite some lapses in the wall, Agent Grijalva says they still work. Operationally, I can tell you that without a physical barrier, the Border Patrol, we have a very tough time succeeding. Is there a crisis on the border? Yes, there is. You can ask any Border Patrol agent here that has been around uh, from one year to 30 years as myself, and they'll tell you that this is a crisis. 
You actually will use that word, crisis. Yes. CNN sounds like Univision. I mean, they're just Univision. Haven't you figured out why your ratings suck? Other great news from these peaceful people that we're supposed to just let in our country. Illegal immigrant arrested on 100 plus child sex crime charges in Louisiana. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry has announced the arrest of an undocumented immigrant accused of more than 100 counts of sex crimes. Miguel Martinez, 44, was arrested on 100 counts of possession of pornography involving juveniles under the age of 13 years old, one count of production under the age of 13, and one count of sexual battery. And yes, he's already been deported. But he came right back. MS-13 gang member added to Texas... 10 most wanted. But to show that there's some hope with Democrats, nearly half of California sheriff departments are resisting the state's sanctuary city laws. According to a new study from the Asian American Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus and the University of Oxford Center for Criminology Border Criminologies, California's implementation of its California Values Act, Sanctuary City Law, is not going particularly well. In fact, sheriffs in roughly half the state's jurisdictions are actively resisting enforcement of the measure. Paul Bernard of the Washington Examiner reports nearly half of the California Sheriff Departments are protesting a new California law that bars them from helping federal immigration officials find criminal illegal immigrants, according to a new report. What's more, several of the 169 law enforcement agencies in California are challenging former Jerry Brown's bid to hide criminal illegals by letting U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officials officials to seize the wanted prisoners for deportation and not telling the state. The report from the University of Oxford Center for Criminology, Border, blah, blah, blah. The report is critical of those moves and calls on the state to crack down on agencies to help ICE to find and remove criminal illegals. Specifically, according to Bedard, 68 out of 169 sheriff's departments considered by the study, about 40%, were not in compliance. There you go. Maybe there's some hope. Because at the same time I read this, Kamala Harris wants dreamers to work in Congress. Yeah, that's her latest pandering. And oh, by the way, measles are soaring all over the country. How the fuck did they get in here? That's why I put it in the violent left. Now to social media. This section is going to be really quick hits, but this I saw and I was like, what the fuck, Chuck? Lawmakers in the United States uh, and the UK are asking you to testify. Everybody wants you to show up. Um, will you testify before Congress? So the, the short answer is, is I'm happy to if it's the right thing to do. You know, Facebook testifies in Congress regularly on a number of topics, some high profile and some not. And our objective is always to provide Congress with this extremely important job uh, to have the most information that, that they can. Right? We see a small slice of activity um, on Facebook, but, if, if, but Congress gets to you know, have, have access to the information across Facebook and all other companies and the intelligence community and everything. So what we try to do is send the person at Facebook um, who will have the most knowledge about what um, Congress is trying to learn. So if that's me, then I am happy to go. Um, what, what I think we found so far is that typically there are people whose whole job um, is focused on an area, but I would imagine at some point that 
um, that there will be a topic where I am the sole authority on, and it will make sense for me to do it. And I'd Although be happy to do it at that point. You are the brand of Facebook. You are the name of Facebook. People want to hear from you. And that's why I'm doing this interview. Uh, but, you know, I think that there's the question in, in, a, in a question of congressional testimony is what is the goal, right? And that's not a media opportunity, right? Or at least it's not supposed to be. Uh, the goal there, I think, is to get Congress all the information that they need to do their extremely important job. And we just want to make sure that we send whoever is best informed at doing that. I agree separately that, um, that there's an element of accountability where um, I should be out there doing more interviews. And, you know, as uncomfortable as it is for me to do, uh, you know, a TV interview, it's, um, I think that this is an important thing that as, as a discipline for what we're doing, I, I, I should be out there and being, being asked uh, hard questions by, by journalists. That is Zuckerberg, and basically what he's calling for for Facebook, due to all the pressure he's getting from Europe, is that the federal government will regulate Facebook. They will say what can be said and not be said. And I want you to think for a second. That's how a liberal mind works. Instead of freedom of speech, we regulate our own stuff because we're a company. No, 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 no. We rely on Uncle Sugar. Everything's the government for these people. No business would ever do this. Most business are still pitching about any regulation we have, but not Facebook. Then we see Google staff protest Heritage Foundation partnership over LGBT immigration issue. Short story for the long version is the fact that they were trying to do an AI board. As they start to develop their AI, they want to have every view in the world. So 2,000 employees and some outside the company petitioned Google that you couldn't have this person that was a Christian and was against gay marriage. Hasn't done anything to get gay marriage overturned. Hasn't done anything. Just made a statement once again. And she's from the Heritage Foundation. Not what you would call a white supremacist. So they can the board and they're not doing it at all. That's your Google. Twitter. Won't ban user for calling black conservative happy nappy-headed N-I-G-G-A. Yeah. Black conservative Amy Holmes is called a hap, nappy-headed nigga on Twitter. And when she reported, she was told the racist act did not violate the company's standard. Twitter has taken extensive heat for its anti-conservative clear bias. Senator Josh Hawley made headlines yesterday when he demanded face investigation by a third party for bias against the right. Social media platform has suspended people for tweeting learn to code and laid off liberal journalists or even tweeting the phrase at all, while now allowing people to tweet the N-word at black conservatives. If you've ever wondered if Twitter rules for hate speech seem arbitrary, wonder no more, former Blaze anchor Holmes tweeted. I reported this clearly racist, clearly personally targeted message sent via DM, literally expressing hate. Twitter emailed me that it did not violate their TOS. It violates mine. She later added that Twitter told her via email that this harassment does not violate its policies. The sender won't be warned. I blocked him, of course. I guess I'm not sophisticated enough to understand. The news broke this morning that when she tweeted that she was in, insulted via message on Twitter, knowing that she rarely reports tweeters because she, she believes in free expression. She even cut out the name of the harasser so that people don't gang up on him. On one hand, she tweeted there were far worse things to endure than insults on Twitter. Is it a crime of the century that some angry misfit oddball DM'd me 
this to me? Obviously not. Yet at the same time, what actually did occur were the double standards at play. But it is strange that I reported this obviously racist and hate-filled attack and was told it was perfectly within Twitter bounds. She continued, When one Twitter user observed how Holmes is not on their list of approved liberals, so anything goes, you could respond with learn to code and get suspended. Holmes replied, Maybe if he had DM'd me learn to code, nigga, that would have triggered a more robust response from the Twitter team. Even typing this reply with that quotation marks make me a bit nervous, nervous that I'll get suspended, and she's right. It's unbelievable. But Twitter is now starting to label Trump's tweets. That's what they want to do. According to The Hill on Wednesday at Washington Post event, Vija God, Twitter's head of legal policy and trust and safety, said if public figures, including politicians, issue offensive tweets, Twitter may annotate them and add a message about why they have not been deleted. But once again, offensive tweets to Twitter is anything anti-progressive. That's all it is. It's not about actual hate because we just saw it. You can call a conservative person the N-word and you're okay with that. Really? Are you serious? But to our huge hate this week and violence in the form of abortion, we had the Georgia heartbeat bill. So Democrats say they are mobilizing against the state GOP. The ACLU said it will go to court if Governor Kemp signs the bill. No other state has been able to put a heartbeat bill into practice. An Iowa judge struck down that state's fetal heartbeat bill, declaring it unconstitutional. So let's talk further about this. With me now is Nikema Williams. She is a Georgia state senator, the first vice chair of the Georgia State Democratic Party, and the public policy director for Planned Parenthood. Thanks so much for being with me. All right, and I'm so actually you, now the chairwoman of the Democratic Party And the chairwoman. Oh, you've got so <laughs> many titles. Hard to keep up. Congratulations on all of that. All right, so you oppose this bill. Why? I do. I oppose this bill. I know that, um, first, it's blatantly unconstitutional, but beyond that, no two pregnancies are the same. I have a three-year-old son, and so I know what it's like to be a pregnant woman and not knowing that I was even pregnant at six weeks. And women choose abortion for a number of reasons. One in four women before the age of 45 will decide to have an abortion and they choose these, this for different reasons. And it's not my place or the government's role to insert themselves in such a personal, private medical decision. And we need to make sure that we're giving women more access. Right now, Georgia has the highest maternal mortality rates in the country, mm. but we're taking away access from care. Half of our counties have no OBGYN, and we want to force the government's role into the middle of a personal private medical decision. So as far as we know, the governor has yet to sign uh, this. Um, but the ACLU has already launched you know, a lawsuit. They are challenging this in court. Is that what you and other opponents of this heartbeat bill are counting on? Well, we are still rallying our troops. I know that advocacy matters, but Brian Kemp told us exactly who he was when he was running for governor, and I'm a firm believer when people tell you who they are, we should believe him. So I have no doubt that he's going to sign this law, this horrific law, into um, this measure into law, and we're going to be ready to sue and fight back at every angle to make sure that women still have access. The bill would ban most abortions from as early as six weeks into pregnancy. That's when doctors are able to detect a fetal uh, heartbeat. Opponents say the bill would make most abortions illegal before women even know that they're pregnant. The American Civil Liberties Union plans to sue 
if the bill becomes law. They say it's unconstitutional, an infringement of a woman's rights. Democrats say they're mobilizing against the state GOP, the ACLU, as I said, ready to go to court if the governor signs this bill. Uh, Democratic Georgia State Representative Erica Thomas with us here. Thank you for being here. And I, I want to get this out right away because I know this is something people wonder about. You're pregnant with mm -hmm. your second child. Congratulations mm -hmm. to you Thank for you. that. How do you reconcile what you have to legislate with the state of where you are personally right now? Well, we also talked about women in rural Georgia. I have a friend that has four counties, and in all four counties, there's not one OBGYN. And so women have to travel across the state just to be able to detect their pregnancy, and they might not be able to do that in six weeks. So uh, Governor Kemp, of course, has vowed to, to sign this bill, and you said of him yesterday, you did this in your first year because you know that you're done. Have you heard from him? No, I haven't. You know, and I and I, I don't expect to hear from him. You know, I think that the biggest thing that needs to be heard is the people of Georgia, and I think they spoke. And in 2020, they're probably going to speak a little bit louder. You know, it's a scary thing to be messing with people's lives and messing with people's uh, agendas. And you can't do that and think that it's just going to be over and it'll go under the rug. Just look what's happening in Kentucky. Yeah, I was going to say. So, do you think that we're going to see? Uh, a repeat of what's happening in Kentucky. Oh, yes. You know, yeah, just yesterday the ACLU said that they are going to file a lawsuit. And just what happened in Kentucky uh, about March in same, the same month. And in the same week of the governor signing that bill, they had a lawsuit. And guess what? It was struck down. And the same thing happened in Iowa and in North Dakota. And I believe that it will happen here in Georgia. No media brought anybody supporting it, of course. That's all I could find is the negative sides of it, that this is the worst thing ever. But this one gets to such a big level because Hollywood actors threaten to boycott Georgia of heartbeat abortion bill becomes law. A growing list of Hollywood celebrities signed on to a letter sent to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp threatening to push film production crews to abandon the state of the pending heartbeat abortion bill becomes law. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, more than 40 prominent actors have also signed on to the letter as Thursday, Rosie O'Donnell, Gabriel Union, Patton Oswalt, Amy Schuler, Ben Stiller, Sarah Silverman, Don Cheadle, Mia Farrow, Essence Atkins, Uzo Abdu, and Christina Applegate are among those who have signed the letter. The letter spearheaded by Alyssa Malone comes a week after the actress tweeted on Friday urging film companies to leave Georgia after the state Senate passed a bill, also known as HB 41, that would ban abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected. In the letter, the actor started off by complimenting the state for its friendly and caring citizens, framing hotels and restaurants that are comfortable and, and high quality. They also point to the billions of dollars in economic activity it has seen in recent years from Hollywood production companies since the state passed generous production tax credit. But we cannot in good conscience continue to recommend our industry remain in Georgia if HB 41 becomes law. They continue. After passing the Georgia State Senate last week, HB 41, which is backed by Kemp, is headed back to the House for consideration. If passed, the measure would be one of the country's most strict abortion laws. This dangerous and deeply flawed bill mimics many others which have already been deemed unconstitutional. The letter reads, as men who identify as small government conservatives, remind you that government is never bigger than when it is inside a woman's body or in her doctor's office. Jesus Christ. This bill will remove the possibility of women receiving reproductive health care. That is not reproductive health care. That's abortion. 
before most even know they are pregnant and force many women to undergo unregulated hidden procedures at great risk for their health. The report arrived several days after the Writers Guild of America also warned Kent that state pending heartbeat abortion ban would cause production crews from Hollywood TV shows and movies to leave the state. A joint statement released on Tuesday, the WGA East and West Champers also called on, leg- called on legislators to think of the economic consequences for the draconian anti-choice measure. This law would make Georgia an inhospitable place for those in the film and television industry to work, including our members. The WGA statement read of the Georgia legislature and Kemp can't make this law. It is entirely possible that many of those in our industries will walk away. Blah, blah, blah. At the end, such is the potential cost of blatant attack on every woman's right to control her body. Then sex workers join and... I, I couldn't read the article. I'm just going to play this fucking whack job. Listen to this hysteric over abortion. Guys, guys, like, do you, do you not see what's happening? Georgia's literally about to pass a bill, or they already passed the bill, where as soon as a fetus has a heartbeat and it's detected, you can't get an abortion. Do you not realize that the earliest you can detect a pregnancy is at four to six weeks, I believe? The heart starts beating by week three. I, I, this, I'm, I'm, I haven't looked at the facts, but the, the heartbeat can be detected way earlier than like than, than you guys are realizing. Like, I, I don't think you guys are realizing how big, how big of a fucking deal this is, and like how terrifying this is for women around the world. Like, you guys don't realize that like my body anatomy is being taken from me. If I don't want a fucking child in me, I should not have to have that fucking child in me. And this should not be up for debate. This shouldn't be something that legislators in a house seat that don't even have a womb or ovaries should be able to decide. We have to fix this, guys. This is a really big deal. And I don't understand why we're not talking about this. Wow. So then Milano, of course, heads down there. She's been leading the charge. Milano penned a letter, blah, blah, blah. She even had the balls to use the Bible uh, verse from Gospel of John. If I have told you earthly things, you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? The full tweet. I love God. I believe in God, even though I like to kill babies, um, which I still don't understand how this all works out. I, I, I don't know how you reconcile that. But I don't believe my personal beliefs, of which we can't confirm, should override scientific facts and what we can confirm. If I told you earthly things you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? John 3.12. So, of course, the world went off on her. Elisha Krauss, the Daily Wire. So what does a baby in utero become scientifically human enough for you to protect their life? Lauren Enriquez. Who wants to tell her that the fact that human life begins at fertilization has been a scientific consensus for almost a century? Emily Zanotti. If these babies aren't human, someone should tell them to stop kicking the shit out of my bladder. She's actually pregnant. Matt Walsh. Do you think God created a child in a woman's womb just so it could be killed? Or do you think he might have better plans in mind for it? Uh, Allie Beth Stuckey. This tweet shows that you have very little knowledge of both theology and science. Leela Rose. 
You don't have to love God to acknowledge the irrefutable science that a unique individual human life begins at the moment of conception. But if you love God, then you also will love his children. He's a father, and every single one of us are created in his image. She has tw- she also tweeted Psalm 139, 13, 14 at the actress, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearful and wonderfully made. Wonders are your works that I know very well. And a lot of people did a whole bunch more. It is just unbelievable. By the very end, she decided to go down there, and she thought she could really change it. But it didn't go too well for her. What district of Georgia are you from? Uh, I work in Georgia. Do you vote in Georgia? I don't vote in Georgia. I'm just wondering what district you were from. There's 30 people outside that do vote in Georgia that I was going to but, escort but you in. Don't vote in Excuse me. Okay. Don't interrupt me. That I was going to escort in, but they wouldn't let me escort in. So that's like, a I no, that. you don't vote in Georgia. No, but the people that work on my crew, the 90,000 people that the entertainment industry actually employs, do. So thank you. What's your name? Dominic Morris. So district. One, nothing. I just answered your question. I'll be back with you. These are the men that are voting on what was on inside my uterus. This guy right here. This guy. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, yeah. What's up? Thank you. Do you know the Cup brothers don't live here either? No idea. I fucking love that guy. Do you vote here? No. Well, go fuck yourself. These men are voting. There are women in Georgia for this. And what she doesn't realize, she thinks she made him look bad and he's a bad person. Oh no, his constituents are definitely going to donate now, you dipshit. It's all you Hollywood don't have a clue about this state. And she has the fucking ovaries to quote the Bible on abortion. Are you fucking shitting me? You know, the problem with these people, the far left, moon bat, TDS infected, abortion till college, fruit loops, they haven't grasped that nobody in the world thinks like you. We have real lives. We gotta get up, we gotta make money, we gotta take care of family, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. And a lot of us are Christians. We believe in a higher being. But the big difference between us and you, other than having a real life, is that we're adults. I don't go to other states and tell them how to live. I don't tell you how to live. And I damn sure don't walk into the middle of a fucking rocket scientist convention and tell them how to get some propellant going on to get that rocket up in space. I don't know how to make a fucking rocket. And you damn sure don't know shit about the Bible. So why the fuck would you open your cock trap? I mean, seriously. You're a fucking moron. If that guy was my representative, I would have sent him a case of fucking cigars. What a great guy. That... This is the problem about the left. They believe they can go to every state and tell everybody how to live, and they can truck in protesters, and it actually means something. It only means something to the media. It doesn't mean anything to the rest of us. We live here. 
This is our state. Our state. So our laws, for what we believe, for our culture, that's what America's founded on. You go have your abort until midlife crisis or wherever the fuck you're going with this abortion shit. You can do that in your state. But in the South and majority of the middle of the country between the coasts, there's nothing wrong with the heartbeat bill. It's saying what? It's a human. It's no longer a clump of cells. To our hate tweets. Hate tweet of the day! Abby Johnson is in the other room. Here. Our first order of business is to present Planned Parenthood's Employee of the Year Award. Abby Johnson. This is Abby. She's our newest volunteer escort. Abby, this is Cheryl D'Alessandro. I'd be the youngest director in Planned Parenthood history. You'll actually be in charge of the abortions at your clinic? I have a chance to make a real difference. No matter what you do for the rest of your life, you're still going to be a baby killer. The only thing that's changed is you, Abby. Can you even hear yourself talk right now about these procedures? These are little babies. I'm not going to apologize for doing a job that helps women in crisis. There's still a part of me that isn't sure. I know. But the one thing that all experts agree on is that at this stage, the fetus can't feel anything. Sorry to bother you, but they need an extra person in the back room. Are you free? And it was like it was twisting and fighting for its life. We commend the souls of these hundreds of children. And Lord, we pray to end abortion. I really appreciate what you've done for us. I'll not forget it. 22,000 abortions. How do I even comprehend that? Rough day at the office. To your dad and me, you are our baby from the moment of conception. We are paying you to be a perfect instrument of corporate policy. We are an abortion provider. I can't be a part of this anymore. Everything that they told us is a lie. Don't underestimate the repercussions of this. You gotta be careful. tell you what's going to happen if you walk through that door. Congratulations. You've made an enemy of one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. All right, that was of course the um <coughs> trailer for Unplanned. And I know I covered a little bit of this, but I wanted to just cover again if I didn't catch it cuz I can't really remember if I caught both angles on this. 
Major TV networks refuse to air ads for pro-life unplanned moving. And not so shocking, but certainly infuriating news, has been reported that several big cable television networks have refused to promote unplanned. It isn't for lack trying on the part of the marketers, the Hollywood Reporter claimed. It's that their efforts have been consistently rebuffed by TV networks. Several mainstream channels like HGTV, Lifetime, and Hallmark have straight up rejected advertising for Pure, Pure Flick's new movie. So you've been wondering why you've only seen ads for the film on Fox News Channel. The promotional fix is in. Oddly enough, this is coming from a channel that we're, we regularly consider as providing wholesome, family-friendly material. THR reported that besides FNC, every other mainstream television outlet has declined to air the ad. Among these, Travel Channel, Cooking Channel, HTV, Food Network are all owned by Discovery, refuse to sell ad time for unplanned due to the sensitive nature of the production. USA Network, NBC Universal, there it is, A&E, Walt Disney. So it doesn't matter that they show conservative-type TV shows. They're still owned by liberals. NBC. Walt Disney, who wants to make everybody gay. Yeah. But to make it even worse, because I think I covered that, Twitter suspends unplanned for pro-life movie account blocks followers. This happened, folks. I was one of the followers. Twitter's tried again to silence voices of pro-life movement. The page for the film Unplanned was suspended on Twitter on March 30th by mistake, if Twitter is to be believed. The account, which at the time had 40,000 followers, was suspended without notice. It was only after public outcry that the account was restored, with the explanation that it was accidentally banned because it was mistakenly linked to another account. According to Breibart, Twitter claimed that when an account violates the Twitter rules, the system looks for linked accounts to mitigate things like ban evasion. In this case, on a second review, it was clear the account should not be affected by the other account suspension. Do you fucking believe that? No. After the account was restored, Twitter informed the administrator of the unplanned page that it would take some time for followers to be restored. However, those that tried to follow the page were immediately removed from the following list. Daily caller, video caller, Stephanie Hamill messaged the unplanned account saying that while she had the account followed each other initially, we are both no longer followed, following each other. However, she had never unfollowed the account. When the account was restored from its suspension, it gained 99,000 followers. It was also verified, so it'll never happen again. It now has over 200,000 people. Tell me that's accidental. Tell me that's a coincidence. Does anybody believe that? Unplanned star Ashley Bratcher on Georgia's heartbeat bill. I'm incredibly proud of my home state. She literally sent a letter to Melissa Alano. Dear Alyssa, mother-to-mother actress or actress is a proud Georgian. I just got some things to say to you. Hollywood may be silent on women's rights, but Georgia, the new home of the movie industry, is making its voice heard loud and clear. I'm incredibly proud of my home state for taking a stand in the fight for life amid backlash and dubious threats. For the latter part of a year, I've watched as women I've admired, like you, spoke out in regards to women's rights, more specifically, women's reproductive rights. With radical laws like the one in New York and Vermont being passed, it's more critical than ever that we are using our voices to fight for the rights of women. One problem, you're forgetting about the rights of women within the womb. If feminism is all about equal rights, then where are her rights? I can't help but think how you would feel if my sh- in my shoes. 
Having just learned months ago that my life was spared on an abortion table, it has definitely put a few things in perspective for me. You had the privilege of being born in 72. My generation was not so lucky. Over 61 million lives never reached their full potential. How many doctors, scientists, philosophers, and even actors like you and me never had the chance to leave their beautiful marks on the world? I, too, just one year ago, was more pro-choice than I am today. It was during the filming of my latest movie on plan that I was truly convinced how wrong I'd been. That's the power of film. You pointed out Georgia was home to 455 filming projects generating $2.7 billion in direct spending for the state, and that Georgia's success in film is no accident. The state's leaders go out of their way with huge tax incentives to attract these projects, you claim. That's why it baffles me that instead of continuing to foster a pro-film environment, state leaders are going down a divisive road once again, refighting culture wars and jeopardizing one of the state's biggest source of revenue. Well, Alyssa, let me make something very clear to you. In Georgia, we care just a month, just as much about being pro-life as being pro-film. We don't believe in putting a price tag on the value of a human life. Our brave leaders have stepped up to say enough is enough. We will no longer sit idly by by innocent lives or taken by the thousands each day. If you fault Georgia for choosing to be morally correct or over politically correct, God, that's awesome, then that says more of your personal agenda than the goal of our governor to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all. You claim that HB 41 heartbeat bill would make Georgia the most regressive state in the country. I couldn't disagree more. Abortion is so 1973. Welcome to 2019, a time in which medical advances preserve the life of babies born as early as 21 weeks. In case you didn't know, that's three weeks earlier than most states in the U.S. consider viable in their abortion legislation. You want a working environment that is safe, respectful, tolerant, and full of love? I know a place just like that, and I call it home. Women do not seek abortions because they feel strong or empowered. They seek them because they are scared. They seek abortions because society and the New Age feminist movement perpetuates the lie that women cannot be successful and be mothers. Those of us on other side of the fence are here with open arms saying, yes, we can. You hail Georgia as the Hollywood of the South, but you should know it's pretty evident that Georgia is its own identity and that it won't be bowing down to Hollywood anytime soon. The glitz and glamour has lost its appeal and America's watching. How sad it is that tax credits are a more important topic than the sanctity of human life. Mother to mother, I invite you to see the movie Unplanned. Abby Johnson's testimony changed my life. Who knows? Maybe it could change yours too. Wow. That is so good. So fucking good. I had a soundbite of Abby Johnson tearing into the Kentucky legislator about something, but I won't play it because that letter itself just sums it up. That is just fantastic. Vice President Pence, and this is hate for you lefties, also when he heard about the banning of this movie by Twitter. So good to see movie theaters across the country showing Unplanned Movie, a deeply inspiring new pro-life film based on the best-selling book by Abby Johnson. More and more Americans are embracing the sanctity of life because of powerful stories like this one. Hashtag Unplanned. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. That, that letter, mm, that's a woman. Not Alyssa Milano. She's just a sheep. From Zach in Tennessee, 
New York is set to be first U.S. city to impose congestion pricing. Yeah, that, that's what I said. Likely become the first major city in the U.S. to implement a charge for motorists entering its most traffic-clogged streets. The plan? To reduce gridlock while generating revenue for the city's stressed transit system. State lawmakers approved a deal on Sunday night, and the new tolls are slated to go in effect in 2021. The tolling is expected to generate $15 billion dedicated to fund the MTA, New York's Transit Authority. The plan will be known as cordon pricing, in which motorists pay to enter a zone. In this case, the zone will be Manhattan south of 60th Street. The precise charge to be levied has not been announced. Wow. Wow. Cities including San Francisco and Seattle are also thinking of that. And Portland, Oregon will follow suit because they're lemming sheeps also. Then there's more hate for the media. After the conservative political commentator criticized The Economist magazine, changed their title. The Economist. We have deleted an earlier tweet for an article that mischaracterized Ben Shapiro, who has been strongly critical of the alt-right movement. We apologize. Here's the article. The initial was inside the mind of Ben Shapiro, a leader in the alt-right, which is anti- or white supremacist. They then changed it to a radical conservative. Anybody listen to Ben Shapiro? That's not a radical. Will and Grace star slams Mike Pence, Jesse Smollett at the Glad Media Awards. Not reading it. It's just more Hollywood being dumbass. Then Hollywood celebrates Equal Pay Day. Smash the pecking order. Equal Pay Day, supposedly how far into the year women must work to earn the same amount as men made the previous year, fell on April 2nd this year, my anniversary. And of course, Hollywood was all over it. The Hollywood organization Time's Up is selling t-shirts to say, Time's Up, pay up. And 40 bucks a pop to spread the word on Equal Pay Day. Time's Up is also teaming up with Now This to release a series of videos starting with one featuring California's first partner, Jen Siebel Newsom. Actress Michelle Williams joined Speaker Nancy Pelosi at a rally on Capitol Hill for Paycheck Fairness Act. She spoke about the time her agent, her agent infamously only got her an $80 per diem while her co-star Mark Wahlberg got $1.5 million to reshoot scenes, blah, 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 blah. I'm not even going into it. You already know the reality. The reality is, this is bullshit. Women are not paid less. There's actually proof that Google paid women more. The difference in pay is different of what they want to do. If they want to have families, they go home early. If they don't want to have families, they don't go home early. But it's not a real stat. It's never been real. It's all bullshit. Almost everybody on the planet goes into a pay scale and gets paid. Maybe Hollywood does this, but in her little example, I don't even know who the fuck you are. I know who Marky motherfucking Mark is. The dude danced in fucking underoos on TV. I guess they were Calvin Klein's, but whatever. Do our tweets of the day. Jason Howerton, restricting gun sales cost Dick's sporting goods, wait for it, $150 million last year. How's that goddamn freaking virtue signaling working for you over there, huh? I tell you, nobody goes to our local one. They walk right through just to get to the mall. But our tweet of the day is actually a soundbite, and the NAACP awards were, I guess, 
while I was on vacation. And they nominated Jesse, who I'm now forever calling Jesse, because Chris Rock told his handlers to suck it. There was supposed to be no Jesse Smollett, Smollett jokes, and he said, fuck you, I'm doing that shit. And in, key in on the fact that I've said it on the show because I've witnessed it in my life. White people aren't the only racist, folks. Within the black community, light-skinned blacks aren't liked either. I guess the darker the better is their concept. At least that's been my experience. So I think it's interesting that he played on the racial tones of his skin also in the joke. To another uh, song by uh, my... I lost her fucking name again. Uh, what the fuck is her name? God damn it. Um, Sarah Bareilles, uh, Love Song. It's one you probably heard. I'm sorry. I, I heard these songs, and I know it's Sarah McLaughlin-esque, but whatever. Uh, in our music break, and then we're going to come into our news. Social media nuggets. I guess I got to present an award... They said no Jesse Smollett jokes. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. What a waste of light skin, you know? You know what I could do with that light skin? <laughs> that curly hair, my career would be out of here. I'd be fucking running Hollywood. <laughs> um. Yes, no, 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 just. <laughs> what the hell was he thinking? <laughs> from now on, I ain't never gonna know just. You're Jesse from now on. You don't even get the you no more. <laughs> that you was respect. You ain't getting no respect from me. Okay. And the NAACP Image Award goes to Blackish. Uh, this is awesome. Someone else. Now tell the kids, say something. I know. Yara, come on, sound intelligent. Yep. Oh, goodness. Um, I stand with Jesse, but more importantly, we don't integrate, we recreate. Tell me to breathe easy for 
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. This, this is this is something, man. This is this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. Military Corner, Alaska soldier killed in live fire training accident. A joint base Elbendorf Richardson infantryman died Saturday after being shot in a training accident, according to Monday's release from the U.S. Army. Specialist Nicholas DeMona III, 20, died of his injuries after being medevaced to Fairbanks Memorial Hospital, the release said. Nick was an outstanding paratrooper with an infectious personality and uncanny desire to excel no matter the challenge, Colonel Jason Jones, his brigade commander, said in release, he will be missed by the entire Spartan Brigade. Demona had been assigned to the 4th Brigade Combat Team, 25th Infantry Division, since April 2018. He was somewhere up towards Fairbanks when it happened. Yeah. That's horrible. God be with him and his family. No good transitions off our losses. Transmilitary documentary to draw transgender advocates, lawmakers together for the whole, maybe 1,000 people. Okay, moving on. Navy plans for unmanned ghost fleet remain shrouded in secrecy. The Navy's advanced plan for a 10-ship ghost free fleet is going forward, and basically the concept is these 132-foot-long medium unmanned vessels named Sea Hunters um, they've already been out on maneuvers. They're drones. Um, and they're looking for two to 300 foot long ones, too. Uh, that's just fucking freaky. Air Force geared up for the next A 10 rewinging contra- contract. <clears throat> they're going to replace all the wings, which is awesome. That means we're not benching it. And then there's this story. An A-10 Warthog squadron receives rare award for extraordinary heroism in Syria. Members of the 74th Expeditionary Fighter Squadron were accustomed to the conflict conditions of Afghanistan, in which airstrikes aren't often carried out in close quarters. But one A-10 Thunderbolt II unit summoned in the dense urban environment of Rock. Raqqa, Syria, where Islamic State fighters and snipers hid within buildings, found itself testing new ways to support U.S.-backed militia on the ground, and this was in 2017. They did some close air support, and it's good for them. Gotta love my A-10s. For those that aren't with the podcast a long time, there's an A-10 on top of my mic. Little model. I love my A-10s. And once again, I didn't finish the thought. If I'm acting, there's pauses, or I'm kind of stammering. With this new setup, 
the big screens to the left like it used to be and the small screens to the right. But for the cable purposing, I had to swap them. So the recording one is a small one. That's the program recording right now. And it's to my right, so I have to go backwards. Instead of going with your mouse to the right to the next monitor, I have to go to the left. And I still haven't worked it out because it's new. But I wanted to get down to this mounted one table thing for the big move when we moved the studio. And so I did it. And, uh, you know, I was going to go into a whole rant about eBay. I ordered this on eBay. The fucker haggled with me. He didn't even speak English. And I am getting my return back, but I'd keep the damn broke-ass promise and go find a new one. Um, or promise product. Uh, so I bought one from Amazon, which is actually just $10 more. And it actually came with all the parts. Uh, his was... He, he basically shipped it in one-ply cardboard. I'm not making that up. It's the thinnest cardboard I've ever seen. So the box disintegrated, and of course, since it disintegrated, they repacked it. But they didn't have the VESA adapters, which is the actual thing you connect to the back of the TV. So of course, I couldn't, I couldn't literally put it on the fucking monitor. I mean, there was no, I was at a pole, which did me no good. Um, so excuse the pauses. I'll get used to going to the left. I, I just did it, and that's why I paused, because I was trying to get back over to something. Anyway, in our last military corner, here's why Chris Kyle wore a ball cap instead of a helmet. A user on Quora asked the following question. Do some troops really wear ball caps and berets in combat instead of helmets? Why? It might seem surprising, but the answer is actually yes. Yes, sometimes they do. It seems counterintuitive, given that a helmet is worn to protect against bullets, collisions, shrapnels, blah, blah, blah. But enough troops weighed in with their own experience to confirm their activity. The reasons varied, but legendary sniper Chris Kyle probably gave the most honest answer. Why a ball cap? 90% of being cool is looking cool. And you look so much cooler wearing a ball cap. Kyle wrote. God, what a good dude. To our college crazy. New York College president, a campus is not the place for free speech. David R. Harris, president of the Union College in New York, recently made the case for why campus is not a place for free speech uh, during a interview he had, which I, I, I just don't understand why the fuck people would say that. But let's, let's go into it. Union College President David R. Harris tiled this insider hire ed column with the opinion and responded to President Donald Trump's free speech executive order aiming to deprive schools that censor students of federal research grant money. Union College is a private institution, while Harris stated support for people using their free speech as public areas. He noted that free speech in its purest form is an exercise in which it's achieved when a person yells a view and then leaves, after which someone with an opposing perspective does the same. The Union column president argued that in some cases the speakers do not grow and spectators cannot challenge the contradicting claims. He then devolves into the usual argument, conservatives or hate speech. Okay. University of Kansas is offering a course on angry white men. Well, maybe I should go to that. And a role of dominant and subordinate masculinities as they connect to right rights-based movements of women, people of color, homosexuals, and trans. Angry white male students, HUM365 is the course number, which is being offered during the fall 2019 semester, will explore the deeper sources of the emotional state while evaluating recent mass manifestation of male anger. 
and Europe and America from 1950 to the present. The course is cross-listed under both the Humanities Department and the Women's Gender and Sexual Studies Department at KU and an option to satisfy humanities course requirement. Christopher E. Forth, the Dean Professor of Humanities and Professor of History at KU, is listed as the course instructor. Forth is considered considerable history studying masculinities in European culture history and has cultural history, gender, and sexuality, the body, and the senses listed as a teaching <coughs> interest. Campus Reform reached out to both Forth and KU for comment to hear back in time because they don't want to answer what is angry white male got to do with the college education? And the answer is nothing. <clears throat> to our other one we talked about, and I put it back here because it's colleges, gender gap. This conservative scholar's finding challenged popular narrative on the left. Conservative scholar has found that since 1982, 13 million more college degrees were awarded to women than men. The analysis comes from the Department of Education data and represents a gender gap across all degrees, including associates, bachelor's, and graduate school degrees. According to recent analysis by American Enterprise Institute scholar Mark Perry, who is also an economics and finance professor at the University of Michigan, Flint. Let me get a drink real quick, sorry. It's really bad down here for Paul, and I'm fucking dying. Um... Given the phenomenal academic success of women in higher education over the last 35 years, how do we justify the continued gender favoritism for college women in terms of female-only scholarships, awards, fellowships, programs, and many other campus resources, Perry asked in his report. Campus Reform spoke with Perry, who said that the education gap demonstrates success in education for women. The phenomenal rise in academic success of women in U.S. higher education over the last 40 years is arguably one of the most remarkable academic success stories in the knowledge or history of education, and the success should be acknowledged and celebrated. The professor and AEI scholar said, The cumulative 13 million college degree gap since 1982 favoring women strongly reflects the remarkable academic success story of women in higher education. But yet, they're still bitching about um, Title IX and STEM and all this shit. Because once again, the left doesn't base anything on facts. Once again, facts don't give a fuck about your feelings. We should be a facts-based society, not fact-less like the left. Consequences of anti-Semitism, University of Texas faculty no longer able to use Airbnb on school business. That's what you get for being a douchebag. Deadspin trans writer blasts conservative opponents of Equal Equality Act. Excuse me. A gym requires spokesperson from an LGBT pressure group to denounce opponents of the proposed Equity Act debate Tuesday in the House Judiciary Community hearing. A transgender member of the media did the job for those organizations. Royally trashing conservative opposed to male intruding on women's sports. Trans deadspin writer Lauren Thiessen, mm-hmm, a biological man, who competed against men in sports until ninth grade basketball tryouts 10 years ago and then became a queer blogger, slammed opponents of the Equity Act. But unsurprisingly, this legislation has raised the ire of folks like social conservatives looking for a new stupid controversy to hump since opposing gay marriage became politically unstable, angry straight obsessed with their own fear of gender nonconformity, and numbskulls who think Tootsie is a documentary. Let that pause for a second. That, that's what he said. What the fuck? 
Who are the numbskulls? Well, there are plenty of them. Doran Denny, Senior Director of Government Relations for Concerned Women for America, appearing on Fox News. The bill would create a world in which women and girls are no longer recognized, protecting or dignified as uniquely female. A college coach could choose to give a scholarship to a transgender athlete over a female athlete. Yeah, there it is. Republican Louis Gomer, you'll have men's sports and you'll have co-ed sports, a consequence of Equality Act. Breibart's Dr. Susan Berry, the measure would likely force women, American women, throughout the country to relinquish their rights to privacy, safety, and ability to compete in sports equally. Equally, That's the biggest thing that bothers me about it. That means boys and girls are dressing in the same room. The Wall Street Journal's Abigail Schreier, Schreier or whatever, for staying the act directly competes with the rights of women and girls and biological boys who identify as girls would gain an instant entitlement to compete on girls' teams in 50 states. Georgia Republican Congressman Doug Collins predicts the bill passed would result in women, lesbians, and families becoming the collateral damage of identity politics. And the Heritage Foundation's Monica Brook. Women could expect to lose more and more opportunities for scholarships to biological males who have natural advantage in sports. Yeah. Those are facts, but not to this dumb school. Thiesen called these comments bullshit, claimed the Equality Act would, if passed and signed in law, create a fantastic opportunity to protect trans athletes. See photo of six foot two tall, two inch, 220 pound Hannah Mouncey, a trans woman's handball player, crushing a girl in Australia. We already talked about it, and the wrestler from Texas. Shereen's right-wing blogs have found it fascinating to learn that two women, males actually, Terry Miller and Andrea Yearwood, who dominated girls' track and field events in Connecticut, generated more disgust than Mac Beck, an actual man, a biological girl, forced to compete against women. If superstar trans female athletes are such an enormous threat to cis women, where the hell are they? Why isn't there a LeBron James dominating women's sports, Thiessen asked. Science and history both show us that apocalyptic predictions about women's sports peddled by the cultural warmongering doomsday or masquerading as feminists won't come to pass. Trans people are the future, and we're absolutely coming to take over the world. But women's sports will be fine. If trans people are the future, there is no future, dumbass, because nobody would be fucking reproducing. But the ACLU was right behind it. Fact check, support trans athlete hurts no one. Bullshit. Bullshit. There's already proof all over the place that hurts people. To stuff that just cracks me the fuck up, and that's why I put it here. Not that I think it's good, okay? Let me rephrase that so it don't sound like a fucking homophobe. Brene, Sharia law comes into force today that allows gay people and people who cheat on their spouses to be stoned to death. Did you hear the media talk about it? Nope. Did you hear Omar come out and talk about it? Nope. Did you hear anybody on the left talk about it? Nope. But we're talking about not allowing men to own women's sports which is more feminist than the left, and we're talking about that. Okay. That makes sense. Down the rabbit hole to our next story, Mary Poppins Poppins Returns director, sequels should address LGBT rights. Yes! Yeah, Chim Chimini, Chim Chimini, we're all fucking gay! What the fuck? That is... Mary Poppins, right? I think that's the right song. Rob Marshall, the openly gay director of the recent Disney sequel, Mary Poppins Returns, says a third installment should focus on the fight for LGBT. 
Because we need to brainwash those little kitties with Mary Poppins being a fucking lesbo. Okay. Speaking with LGBT news publication, The Advocate, Marshall said Mary Poppins movies have been an outlet for social movements. The first showed the mother, Winfrey Banks, as an advocate for women's suffrages. That was not the story. That was just part of the story, dumbass. Winfrey Banks is an advocate. The second featured Winifred's daughter, Jane, as a labor organizer. The third, Marshall said, should focus on the battle for LGBT rights. I wanted to root it in the real place, and Marshall the sequel. That's why Jane works for the rights of workers. This is the 30s, the Depression era, it was blah, blah, blah. So now we're in the 2000s, and Mary Poppins is going to be eating taco. Okay. Got it. Our next story shows you that it's sometimes not even be good enough for the left to be gay. Despite protesters, LGBT walkaway town hall goes off as planned. Basically, to do the short story on this, this is a hashtag that's on Twitter, and they are walking away from the Democratic Party because they've done nothing for them, so they say, on all these other auxiliary issues, and even they get protested by the sheeple for not conforming to the Prague rules. The reporter goes back and forth. He was getting blocked by people the whole nine yards. No fascist. No hate, no fear. Fascist. I mean, they're calling them fascists. Uh, one of their chants was queer liberation, not fascist assimilation. So basically, if you think other than Prague, you're a fascist. That kind of is fascist, isn't it? Then this one came out from the New York Times. Got a couple articles. I'm just going to read a little bit of them because these were just they just blew my fucking mind. It's possible leggings are the future. Deal with it. Last week they set off a firestorm at the University of Notre Dame. Why does this item of clothing get people so riled up? From Vanessa Friedman. When did leggings make the leap from garment to cultural lightning rod? For what are essentially stretched footless tights in a seamless, seemingly endless array of patterns and colors, they have been an unexpected source of controversy. The latest uproar came last week when Marion White, the mother of four sons, wrote a letter to the, the Observer, the school newspaper for both the University of Notre Dame and nearby Women's College, St. Mary's, asking female students to ignore fashion and stop wearing leggings. It was for their own as well as greater good, she suggested in part, because leggings made it hard for men to control themselves. Then you wear it, you're asking for an implication in the letter, not to mention the sheer idea of censoring clothing, set off the predictable firestorm of protests both on and off campus. For two days, students wore leggings to show of group defiance. There was a hashtag leggings day, ND hashtag on Twitter, and assorted men and women posted pictures of themselves in solidarity with leggings wearers. Women's Equality UK, TLC Sports. By Friday, the Zerber had another piece, this one from the editor's response to the Fuhrer, saying, having received over 35 letters to the Observer in addition to the countless verbal comments, tweets, memes, and class discussions about Monday's letter, we have been astonished by the conversations the lagging pieces sparked. Meanwhile, those wider conversations continued over the weekend. This follows a 2017 United Airlines incident. Do people remember that? Yeah. 
So then she goes on and does the, let me get in general, the existential interrogation of the solar garments, because really that's what it is. Centers on women, women's bodies, and general discomfort with seeing too much of them or believing you are. That's certainly where Mrs. White was going with her letter, and it's generally the political offense used by those who are on the pro-legging side. How dare you accuse me of dressing to seduce an argument that has particular resonance in the era of Me Too, except for Biden, because we like him. They didn't say that, but I did. <clears throat> but leggings began the rise of wardrobe domination. Blah, blah, blah. Goes through all the end. And by the end, it's your sexist piece of shit if you dare say a woman can't wear anything. Now, those that have been with the show, one of my first shows covered this. I don't want to see your labia. All right? I don't want to see your labia. Just like you don't want to see my little Vienna sausage in a pair of bike shorts. It's one thing to wear them to work out. But I did a whole thing about the women in Starbucks who have not worked out that look like from the neck up with all their hairdo and makeup and their nails and etc. Like they're going clubbing, wearing their little halter and a pair of leggings showing some camel toe to Starbucks. I mean, seriously. Excuse the storm. I'm in the, Remember, I live in the South. There's going to be storms um, coming in. So we got a big... Big gully washer going right now. <clears throat> Nobody wants to see that. And I might be prudish because I'm in my 50s, but I don't think that's proper attire. Now, I'm not even going to the thing of fat ladies wearing it. Like, I'm a fat guy. Nobody wants to see me in a tanker top, tank top and biker shorts walking up in Walmart with my fat ass jiggling. Nobody wants to see that. My gut hanging over. Nobody wants to see that. I'm just talking in general decency. Why do you have to wear that? Because most of these women are buying it a few sizes small. So my little camel toe comment or your labia comment might be a little vulgar, but it's what's happening. You can see their genitalia. Half the time it's going in their cracks. You see their butthole. Nobody wants to see this. Nobody. I don't know why all of a sudden this became a cultural subject. It's common decency. You want to go be a skank? Go to the fucking club. Old man ran out. Now, moving on to more other crazy left shit. Teen Vogue advises teenagers about biological sex. Binary is bullshit, so they say. So let's listen to that. Hi, I'm Hannah Gabby, and I'm here to tell you that binary is bullshit. Sex typically refers to your biological traits, as your gonads, your genitalia, your internal sex characteristics, your hormone production, hormone response, and secondary sex characteristics. Gender is about your identity, your expression, and it's often based on ideas about sex. It's important that we really break down what are we talking about when we talk about sex and gender, and is there something called biological sex, and what does that mean? This idea that the body is either male or female is totally wrong and i am living proof of that we know intersex people exist and break down this binary we all have 
characteristics that are typically male and typically female. And it is really about political choices, social factors, ideological choices that we assign meaning to different parts of our body. So the meaning may be that the thing that most of us are taught, that if you have a vagina, you're a girl, or if you have a penis, you're a boy. But like many simple binaries break down when you start to really get into the nitty gritty. Over history, the location or the idea of what determined one's true sex shifted. A hundred years ago, it used to be whether or not you had ovaries or testes. Then it shifted to what kinds of chromosomes that you had. But the body doesn't just have one place where we can sit there with a microscope or something else and say, hey, wait a second, this is really who you are, this is your true sex. In fact, who you are is who you say you are. Intersex people are individuals born with varying degrees of sex characteristics that don't fit the typical script of what it means to be male or female. I identify as an intersex person. I identify as an intersex woman. And we're not that rare. It's 1.7% of the population that's born like this. It's as common as people with green eyes and red heads. Everybody knows somebody, but it's sometimes hard for the person to speak about it or the person doesn't necessarily know it. I remember when I first learned about intersex and how surprising it was to me. I was like, what is this? Why have I never heard about this? And we haven't heard about it because it's actually been stigmatized for a long time. One thing a lot of people in the intersex community talk about are medically unnecessary surgeries that are forced upon intersex children to make them fit into these boxes uh, of male or female. I have gone through surgeries that have really stuck with me through my whole life and affected a lot of different parts of my life just so that I can fit into this box of female. It's possible to be both intersex and transgender, but it's really important to understand that they are not the same. It's more like a Venn diagram. While intersex people are often born with a mix of what science considers male and female biological characteristics, trans people are often born into a binary gender and then realize later in life that whatever their assigned gender was isn't how they actually want to live, isn't who they actually are. I was born with x chromosomes and my gender at birth was female. We tend to think that chromosomes for women should only ever be XX, but there are women that have XY chromosomes. Chromosomes are not the sole determinant of your sex or your gender. When I say I'm a woman, I don't just mean that I identify as a woman. I mean that my biology is the biology of a woman, regardless of whether or not doctors agree. Saying that a person with XY chromosomes is only male is a narrow way to look at the diverse range of chromosome differences that we can have as a person. Human beings are so complex that each person has the right to define who they are and X and Y can't define who you are in your heart, in your mind, as you're growing in life. Too many people still believe that there's such a thing as a true sex and that it comes from your chromosomes. It's not the case. Science has known this for decades and it's actually a consensus in science and uncontroversial. Everybody has testosterone. It's just a matter of how your body responds to it. But it's also not just related to things that we think of as masculine. We actually need it for our liver, for our brain, for our heart. So it's really a misnomer to keep calling it the male sex hormone. Everybody has it, everybody needs it. It's not just about sex. 
In the sporting world today, some female athletes are even tested for high testosterone levels and forbidden from competition just based on their naturally occurring biology. There are women in elite sport that have 46XY chromosomes, but their bodies don't respond to the testosterone that they produce. No testosterone. Their tissues can't use it. And yet they're excelling at elite athletes. So testosterone is not necessary to even be an elite athlete. And it's definitely not the only thing that makes people a good athlete. Definitely a cringeworthy misconception. It's like so steeped in what we've been taught culturally and as a society. Trans women are not biological men. We should never talk about any woman who is trans as a man. Not a biological man, not a NATO man, not really a man. This is used to target trans women and make us out as predators, especially when it comes to bathroom bills. The reality is that a trans woman's biology is a female biology. It's the system that's causing friction to divide us as women and friction to divide feminists to feel like there has to be some separation or that my trans womanhood and your cisgender womanhood makes us in competition or one of us is trying to take up more space when the conversation should be we're all women. It's just my journey is a different journey. A trans woman is a woman. She's not tricking anyone. All of her body parts are female body parts. When you only focus on somebody's genitals, you're not seeing the full humanity and the wholeness of that person. Or acknowledging when it comes to gender identity and expression, really really seeing that person for who they are. Much of the violence that we see against the trans community, particularly trans women and femmes of color, is fueled by this idea that trans women are really men. And that when someone learns that a person has a body part that they typically associate with men or that a person was assigned male at birth but is a woman. And it's important that we really expose these efforts for what they are and fight back. And part of the way we can fight back is to show that these concepts aren't the fixed scientific constructions that people want to suggest. I'm telling you, if you're a parent, you let your kid read Teen Vogue. I really want you to rethink your whole fucking concept. Then another New York Times piece that I I was going to read the whole thing, but we're long today and I'm not going to. I'm just going to read the title. I broke up with her because she's white. When it comes to dating, I'd rather not think about race, but that's been hard to avoid. In this one, he's a Latino And within this article are things that if you said on the other side, you would be a racist piece of shit. But the New York Times printed it. They printed it. It was okay. It was good for group consumption. Let a motherfucker go. I I broke up with her because she's a nigga. With the A. Since that's okay now. Because Twitter just said it's okay. It's not racial at all. If you say it to black people, so I I guess we're good to go, right? Huh? Nobody could print that fucking article. Nobody should print that fucking article. That's racist. His whole article is racist. Everything. But as we've seen on The Root, it's good to go. The Root, every fucking weed I write something about Becky and her straight hair. Yeah. It goes along with this one. This one was from uh, the New York Post. White people's diets are killing the environment, study says. Just white people. 
I could go racial really quick because I've seen what people eat at other races. It ain't that good, folks. It isn't like we're the only motherfuckers on the planet eating them cows. But okay. Then you got Google again. Whistleblower leaks Google's white privilege diversity training. A software engineer at Google has made another devastating reveal of Google's liberal bias. Mike Wacker leaked two pages of a far-left dogma on race, privilege, and sexuality published in Google's Allyship 101 diversity training materials. He quipped on Twitter, At Google, we are a nonpartisan company, so as long as you first accept our highly partisan... I lost my place, sorry. Ah, shut up. Sorry, that was my phone. Every time you say that word, if you ever say... Do you hear that? Because I said the word Google. Okay. Um, I lost the highly partisan definition of key terms. He elaborated that these policy-shaping definitions come from sources like UC Berkeley and also Robin D'Angelo, the author of White Fragility. Wacker previously made headlines when he claimed that Google manager vowed we need to stop hate speech and fake news because that's how Trump won the election. The handout cited many talking points for far-left academia. They cited gender as a socially constructed system of classification, defined whiteness as a constantly shifting boundary separating those who are entitled to have certain privileges from those whose exploitations and vulnerability to violence is justified by their not being white. Meanwhile, he unified all people who did not identify as white as people of color, a term they say encompasses all non-white people who have common experiences of systematic racism. What is telling about this dynamic is that there is no term used to address hostility towards white people as a group. This is very clearly an ideological to ra- ideology to radicalize oppressed groups in opposition to oppressors. Wacker also tweeted that these screenshots come from a workbook used in diversity training called Allyship 101. He asserted that he took his training in February 2018 that they contain a list of key terms and their slanted definitions. To fully understand the topic of diversity and inclusion at Google, you need to understand this specialized jargon. He commented that the concept of allyship here, rather than merely being a friendly supporter, segregates people into advantage and disadvantaged tribes, often along identity-based lines such as race and gender, and it defines allyship as a member of the advantaged or privileged tribe, helping the disadvantaged, oppressed tribe. He specifically addressed how grievance studies, rhetoric of college campuses and Silicon Valley tech companies are increasingly familiar. It's not the first time I've seen Google compare the college campuses in an unfavorable way. University of Toronto psychology professor and author Dr. Jordan Peterson tweeted an excerpt of the memo commenting on the viral nature of the social justice. Google goes full social justice. You can't imbibe just a little of the doctrine without being infected. Google also has found common cause with Amazon, Facebook, and other high-profile companies in opposing Texas bills they claim promote exclusion to LGBT people. They penned a letter where they praised Texas' strength as a byproduct of the respect for inclusion and diversity and condemn policies that explicitly or implicitly allow for exclusion of LGBT people. When liberal praise diversity, they use it as a code word for replacing groups they dislike with those they see as virtuous victims. There is no place for diversity of opinion, such as respecting the rights of conservative Texans who are being increasingly marginalized in the state. Mm. Doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me, man. I mean, you go to Google and you do something, any kind of search, you see what you get. 
I mean, I've talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. It's just do basic searches, and you're not going to get what you're looking for because they're all about the brainwash. I just happen to like, like their products, which really sucks. Not an SNL sketch. New consent condom requires two people to open it. If it's not a yes, it's a no. I don't even know what to talk about this. It's, it's got four corners. You need four thumb, four fingers to make it. Jesus Christ. And that's your sex life? You're bored. You're just really bored. You want to have sex tonight? I don't know. Let's see what the fucking Rubik Cuba condom tells us. Got it. To our crazy crime stories. Cops, pals took turns shooting each other. In a bulletproof vest shared by a pair of Arkansas nitwits. That, Jesus Christ. That's a skit. It's fake on Super Troopers, you moron. Man admits goat's ghost did not plant meth in his home. Court record shows. I've heard it's my mom's meth. I've heard these are my pants on Live PD, but I never heard a ghost put the meth. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. And then my last one I ran into on Twitter. These 10 states watch the most TV. Here's how your state ranks. Surprisingly, the state I live in, Tennessee, was number 30. And reality TV was the uh, most watched. Uh, The best state was Utah. With an average of 2 hours and 14 minutes. And it was cartoons. Uh, Tennessee was two hours and 58 minutes, and it's reality, as I said. The worst state was West Virginia, four hours and 30 minutes, and soap operas. Um, Let me see, uh, where's Oregon? Oregon, two hours and 45 minutes, and that is uh, animated cartoons. Let me find New Jersey. A lot of you Clifton, New Jersey people listening. Love you, Clifton. Uh, Trying to find it. New Jersey... I guess I got to put my glasses on for this one because I had to reduce the font. It's a spreadsheet, and the damn thing is like really small. Uh, Montana, California is two hours and thirty-nine minutes. New York, two hours and fifty-two. Indiana, Texas, three oh four. New Jersey. Three hours and 19 minutes. So it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14th most watched TV in New Jersey. And they say it's reality TV for you people in Clifton. Um, thought that was interesting. I blow this curve the fuck up. Because, you know, my wife usually gets home at 3.30 and we watch until 9. So that's, you know... Five and a half hours right there. We wake up and at least watch an hour. So, uh, But we're couch potatoes. So, Anywho, we're going to move into our lighter fare. This is going to be an interesting soundbite. I'm just going to play it, and then I'm going to define what it is. And you are just going to go, what the fuck, Chuck?
It's a Japanese business that lets adults be swaddled. They put you in like a plastic womb type placenta and you get swaddled. I don't even know how to respond to that. If you need to be swaddled, find your balls. Jesus Christ. I've had some bad days. I never wanted to be swaddled. Next one, 61-year-old woman gives birth to her own granddaughter from gay son using his husband's sister's eggs. That's a lot of fucking therapy coming down for that fucking kid. Our next soundbite comes from Black Rifle Coffee, who are mocking Uncle Joe, and a comedian, comedian Alyssa and Paris. And I, my God, her, her mocking of AOC, it is the best thing I have seen lately. Enjoy. Tan, thank you for being here. I mean, you can look around and you see no one here is doing the French tuck. And, you know, I feel that it is my responsibility as the youngest person in this office to, to tell people that, you know, a, a French tuck is, it is more affordable. It, it looks, it looks good on everyone. It is flattering. And I think, you know, if, if all of us could French tuck just a little bit, that I, I truly believe it would make the world for for us and for our children and for New Yorkers uh, a better place to live. And and you know and, and if we and if we don't address it now, what's going to happen next? You know, what's next? Like people start tucking in the shirt too much. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so Tan, thank you for being here. I I I, I really I really appreciate it. And Bobby, thank you for the whole new office. That's some good shit right there. They're just walking around smelling people's hair. And that Alyssa in Paris, wow, that's good. But my favorite lighter fare comes from this no-shit protest yesterday. Times Square was really hopping yesterday thanks to a rally demanding that the Mueller report be released on the public in full. And just to show how serious they were about getting what they want, protesters took part in a mass sing-along complete with resistant versions of classic tunes. Uh, next plane to Moscow, we will stop you, show me, puppet song. And this person got a pictures of the actual lyrics. And I, 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 wow. Favorite things. Building a wall between churches and Congress, making a choice between righteous and wrong, taking down tyrants that acts like they're kings. These are a few of our favorite things. The rights to gather and the First Amendment, choices rather and thoughts independent, getting a lawyer when I'm flying. I'm not going to sing this song. It's not unusual. Yeah, this one. It's not unusual for the president to lie. Da, 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 da. It's not unusual that he is a Russian spy. And when we see him hanging about with Kim Jong-un, it's not unusual to see us cry. Don't want to die. And they got like 18 million. Love will keep us together. I mean, seriously. Another one. We will survive. Um... At first we were afraid, we were petrified by the sights of all those Nazi Nazis by your side. And we spent so many nights assuming you were such a clown that you'd go down. But then the Kremlin came to town and you came back. 
with Christiak. Today you're busy blowing Vatimer, thinking for the hack. We should have changed the stupid vote and counted democratically. I can't even sing it. Should have known that fools and traitors run the goddamn GOP. Go on now. Go, you Russian whore, just turn around now, cause you're not welcome anymore. Are you the fool who tried to break the FBI? Did you think we'd crumble? Did you think we'd lay down and die? Oh no, girl, bye. We will survive, oh, as long as we are stuck with you, the fight will stay alive. And through every turn and twist, we'll have the courage to resist, we'll survive, we will survive. Hey, hey, these fucking people, are you shitting me? They closed it with Michael Tracy. They are now doing a dramatic mass recitation of Adam Schiff's it's not okay speech from last week. These are the people the media love. This is how our media think, and you're making... They even had a rollover Beethoven chant. What the fucking fuck? What the fucking fuck? I, could, I did kind of get into singing it, sorry. Um um, one more, and it's really quick, and then we're going to go into This is America. Um, uh, there was a huge article by Tyler Dunn for Bleacher Report, which I follow. What happened in Green Bay? I checked out Coach, to tuned out QB, a soap opera where there should have been a dynasty. And those who saw the Aaron Roger, Mike McCarthy wreckage up close say, we didn't know half of it. By the end of this, I found out things I didn't even want to find out. But many ex-players came forward. Uh, Aaron Rodgers changed two, uh, like a third of every play. If you didn't do what he said, he wouldn't throw the ball to you like the new people. Um, and and, and a, a rousing chant of people who said the moment they gave him all that money, they were fucked because he just did his own thing anyway. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. The whole nine yards. And they literally called him and had to tell him after hiring a new coach, don't be the problem, because he was getting ready to argue that it wasn't the right choice. Here are just a few sound bites that I gleaned, and then I'm going to rant for a second. How would you describe the uh, Leftco show? On Blue I would Truth? say the Leftco show, uh, now that I've traded Sims to NBC and I've gotten you guys back in return... <laughs> Kind of feels a like big a Herschel Walker trade Ooh. back in the day. Uh, I would say right now it's... Wait, are you Minnesota or are you Dallas? We're the team... Yeah, we're Dallas. Okay. We got all the okay, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hey, word. Um, sorry, Sims. Uh, I would say right now it's really trying to unmask NFL players and show who they really are. So we just had Pat McAfee, Rand Getlin, Trent Brown. Uh, got a few draft guys coming up. But this Aaron Rodgers story is like the number one thing in my world. So you guys were talking about it. Yeah. It's the best. Egos ripping a franchise. Who apart? would you rather interview, Rodgers or McCarthy? I've always wanted to interview Aaron Rodgers because I feel like his IQ is super high. He has a very high sense of self, and I would want to crack that code. Oh, you're not cracking it. I know, I, but that's why. That's what you want to do. Yeah, you want to challenge yeah. him. But he's yeah, he doesn't. He avoids those questions and giving those answers like he does defenders. I'd like his take on psychology. I'd like his take on emotion. I'd like to – I wouldn't even talk football. 
I would get into a staring contest for 45 seconds and just see how he interacts with that. that I'm fascinated by him. He's the, one of the smartest quarterbacks we've ever seen. But if you're so smart, how did you let this continue? Like, this is all wasted have you years. A, have you ever had a boss that you thought you were smarter than? That, yeah. Right? That yeah. kills you on the inside. And you, his prime, he's going, five years, six years, you're wasting me. You're getting massages? Like, I understand why Aaron Rodgers is going crazy. But why doesn't management do something about Because this? they don't have an owner. Because they're the Green Bay you Packers. You still have no Ted one to Thompson. Ted Thompson, if you read, Ty Dunn killed it with the story. He did. Ted Thompson was asleep at the wheel. He yeah. was falling asleep in meetings. He wasn't signing free agents. I'm going to draft another. Great. No, it didn't work. It's a and shame. And now Mark Murphy's pretending to be owner. So I'm hoping it works out with the floor. I think Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. And I think that they've wasted him. And I hope he can come back at 34, 35. What makes him the greatest quarterback we've ever seen? His can ability. you only have one Super Bowl and be the greatest quarterback? I don't. This isn't about legacy or Super Bowl. I'm looking at the ability to play the position. And I think that he can do things that no one else has done. I'm willing to put Patrick Mahomes almost like I'm. I will whoa, change. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, yeah. whoa, Welcome whoa, to my world, whoa, Dan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the left coast. I don't know what's worse. I don't need five That Super opinion or that sweater. Hey. For more Dan Patrick Show, tune to Audience Channel 239 on DirecTV or download the Dan Patrick Show app. Greg, you were in it. Uh, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Back the bus up over Aaron Rodgers. I hope, he, I, hope he, I hope he survived. I, I read the story, though, and I think that Mike McCarthy looks worse. I, I don't think he's going to coach as an NFL head coach again after this story. Uh, I, I found Mike McCarthy almost indefensible in terms of and, and I go all the way back to Mike McCarthy as the quarterback's coach in Kansas City I, and was very critical of him then and was shocked when he won a Super Bowl. Then I read this story. I go, oh, okay, I had him right. <laughs> yeah, Mike doesn't look good in this story at all. I mean, when you think about some of the things that are being said about the missing meetings because he's getting massages and players knowing about it, it's just not a good look and not, not a good dynamic coming from your head coach. Um, and, and just even how your quarterback view you uh, of not being football smart, having a great football IQ. And we're on the same side of the ball. And even in my experience in my time there, I, I, I just feel like when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, you can't get stale. He can't grow stale. And with Mike McCarthy saying we can play double headers with this playbook, we can play run the same plays, that grows stale with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. You know, I know you people talk about the NFL being a business and whatnot, but it's a huge emotional part of the game, too. And when a guy passes on you, right, and he goes with somebody else, now he comes in and now he's the man, players never forget that. They never forget that. If a, if a, a coach cut you or released you or traded you away, you knew that they had something to do with it, I know it's supposed to be business, but guys never forget. So coming in right away, it's like, okay, I'm the man now. You're not going to tell me what to do. I just, and I don't think it's a secret. It was out there already, but it's more, more now that we get a chance to see from Mike McCarthy's side. We already know what Aaron Rodgers is. You know, people talk about his character and this is, you know, having no personality, the way he reacts to uh, or interacts with other people. We knew that, but we never heard about Mike McCarthy's side and some of the things he said. But that's why I believe that Aaron Rodgers didn't respect him from the first place. You, Mike McCarthy looks terrible. Terrible. 
getting a massage. How are you going to tell me to be at the meeting at 8 o'clock and you not there? That's number one. This this what happens. And you're upstairs getting a massage. A massage. Like, I wish I, could, I wish I could be getting one. But what you said is right. So this is what happened. Mike McCarthy does not draft Aaron Rodgers. He drafts Alex Smith. So Aaron Rodgers right off top, now that you're my coach, is I really don't think you know what you're doing. You thought Alex Smith was better than me? Right. Are you kidding me? And now that you're my coach, I really see you don't know what you're doing. I thought I didn't, you didn't know what you were doing by drafting him ahead of me. Now it's validated because I've been around you. You're my coach. You really don't know what you're doing. Myself, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, Jermichael Finley, Brian Grant. We'll make you look like you know what you're doing, but you really don't because you validated it by not drafting me, number one. So I'm going to hold that against you. And now that I'm around you every day, I realize you really have no idea. Let's be clear. McCarthy was the offensive coordinator who I think did in Ford in, in San Francisco yes. at that time. But I think he did go on record. He thought Alex Smith was better mm -hmm. than, than Aaron. And, and so I get it. The thing that my number one takeaway and that's talked about in the in the story because at the top they said ego cost the Packers. And I don't buy that. And I, and I heard you on Cowherd's show because I think egos everywhere in professional sports. What cost the Packers and why they only got one title during McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers is no ownership. No one sitting there holding these people accountable. No one from the top down that's like burning desire to win to make these guys get in the room and say, hey, man, cut this out. If it was yeah. owners, do you think he would be getting massaged if he knew no, it I, could get back to the an reason, owner? The reason why I say that, that doesn't even come into play here, is because the Packer organization has always won without ownership. And so when you look, when you say because they didn't have ownership, there was no accountability. No, there's always been a sense of accountability because of the organization, the franchise, the history that goes behind that organization. It was ego. It was ego in a sense because when Mike McCarthy would call a play and your number one guy, your, your play call or your play runner doesn't agree with it, or when we run two-minute offense, I feel like I can put us in a better situation than you have ever put us in. That's problematic right there. But a lot of quarterbacks, honestly, a lot of quarterbacks, we've all played. We've all had coaches where we felt like, he don't know what he's doing. Why is he coaching me? We've all been in that situation. It's not just Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. No. I've had coaches where I felt like he didn't know anything, and a lot of players felt like, why is he coaching? But, it, but the respect level was gone. I mean, I, I haven't lined up or played against a, a big-name quarterback or a great quarterback that didn't have an ego. Every one of them do. But there's a respect level that Mike McCarthy didn't get in that locker room. He damn sure didn't get it from Aaron Rodgers, and rightfully so with seeing this stuff coming out. And, and I'm glad because we always, we always talk about there's two sides to a story. There's two sides to a story, but we never hear the other side. We always hear the one person is going to aim to, and that's Aaron Rodgers. But we, this my friend, I don't know about you guys, and you, I mean, you played there, but I never heard anything like this coming out about Mike McCarthy. Never. It, Greg, the low IQ, football IQ deal with Mike McCarthy, is that true? I don't, I don't. Oh, Greg, come on. No, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I don't find that to be true. Uh, I think he does have a high football IQ. But you're dealing with a guy in Aaron Rodgers that has a high that football has a IQ. higher football IQ that arguably has one of the highest that I've ever been around and ever known. Okay. Well, you know, I read the whole article, man, and I'm I'm looking at it, I'm reading it, and to me, it's just a bunch of people's opinions. 
And that's not the same opinion that I have about Aaron Rodgers. And the crazy thing about it is I'm getting a bunch of texts from my former teammates, and they're like, where was I at when all this stuff was going on? Because I don't remember any of this stuff going on. And it's crazy that former players that played with Aaron, when they were in the locker room, couldn't ad- could have addressed this with Aaron, but did not address it with him if that's what was going on. But me and Aaron's relationship is unbelievable. I could call him now. I could talk to him. And when I read this article, it makes me sick because that's not the type of guy that I know. And these other people's opinion, that's their opinions. I can't change their opinion, but that's not the type of guy I know. But the type of man I am is if you have a problem with a guy and you feel like he's not doing things the right way or you feel like he's selfish and you feel like he's not being a leader, then you address him. But you don't bring it to the media. You address him. And I feel like a lot of these players coming out right now could have addressed Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers had a conversation with him. Man, this just fucking hurt my spleen. Um, if you want to go over there, it's what happened in Green Bay. It's on Bleacher Report. You can Google search it. Uh, basically, by the end of this, we find out that uh, this this guy was an ex-New York Times writer. I've gotten arguments with him. He talks shit to me because the first tweet he did uh, uh, last year was about Trump. I don't know what that has to do with sports. But he said how great he knows, um, how Aaron Rodgers knows uh, racial situations in America. And it made me think, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the first real superstar NFL quarterback. You know, you got Mahomes, but he hasn't built his legacy yet. And I know for those that are not into sports, I know this is a stupid section, but I'm a Packer fan, so anybody who's been with the show, I do Packer stories. And this was a bombshell this weekend. It was just fucking huge. There's like 10,000 stories re- came off this story. Um, so I, I got to rant for a second about it in the lighter fare section. But he's the first real millennial guy he came from berkeley he's a progressive and if you read this article it just sums up this millennial generation i mean it's about them nobody can correct them nobody can tell them they're wrong they know everything better than everybody in the fucking room and the moment you criticize them they shut the fuck down because they're participation trophy that's what they are everybody's good how dare you say i'm not good and I understand dude went from being a top pick to the number 24 with the Packers. And Mike McCarthy was one of the people that was at San Francisco that said they wanted to go with Alex Smith. Remember, the, the draft's a crapshoot, man. You don't know how people are going to end up being when they actually get in and start playing. I mean, you just don't know. In this story, they pretty much said he held a grudge from that point over. So he hated McCarthy. McCarthy wasn't smart enough to him. But then you start reading about the freezing people out, uh, telling people like, Jennings, who I played Jennings, I play Lefto, says that he doesn't think this is going to work out. And Jennings was a guy who just said Aaron Rodgers is a douche nozzle. And then uh, Jones was a great veteran uh, wide receiver who's on his side. So I played both sides of it. But Jennings said that he went to talk to Favre when Favre went over to Minnesota. And I hated Favre when he did that. I was really upset with it. Yeah, I bought his jersey, but I never wore it just because I was a Favre guy. And I think the way they did him was pretty fucked up. But long story short... He went to talk to Favre and say, hey, and Aaron Rodgers got pissed. So during the play, like a week later, he goes, yo, it's a, he joked with the cornerback, uh, oh, it's a contract year. You know, I got I to gotta do these routes perfect. I, you know, he's just joking. Those are the kind of conversations that you see if you, you know the sport. They do say stuff like that. And Aaron Rodgers said, you guys can get him next year. He froze out Jennings. 
a guy in the Packer Hall of Fame. And then you find out he did the same thing to St. Brown, Aquinius St. Brown, who got reamed on the sideline because he wrong, ran the wrong route, and he told the coaches he's reaming them, well, I didn't want to get Aaron to piss me off because he won't throw the ball to me. You find out Jeff Janis, a crowd favorite, he was froze out by Rodgers. So he just didn't throw the ball to him. I mean, petty, vindictive, little twat. And I knew at the moment he went all fucking uh, BLM during the season that this douche nozzle was just a little prog playing football. And you find everything in the story that he cares about stats more than winning. It's all about being loyal to him. He's the smartest guy in the room. And we just handed him $130 million. So do you think he's going to do anything a new coach tells him that's only four years older than him? Fuck to the no. This is a huge, huge blow for the Packers. I'm one of the people that have been on Twitter getting raped verbally for going off about Rodgers and how his play sucks and we shouldn't have gave him the money because he came off a year that he missed most of the season because he broke a collarbone because that was a season he was worrying more about PC social justice warrioring about taking a knee than actually playing the game. And he comes back and he plays like shit. He plays his usual thing. I'm going to show, throw a touchdown. I don't want to get an interception. Hold on the ball too much. Throw the ball away. He threw the ball away more than anybody ever last year just because he doesn't want his stats to be fucked up. And you come to find out he is toxic to a locker room. So read that story. If you hate the Packers, read it. If you love the Packers, it takes you a while, man. It is hard to read. There's some shit on McCarthy, too. But uh, my take, it's Aaron Rodgers. So we're going to go to This is America and head to the barn. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, though. Don't catch you slipping, though. What I'm whipping up. This is America. Don't catch you slipping up. Don't catch you slipping up. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. You say his various news outlets have inexorably pushed the flow of history to the right across across the Anglosphere, whether they were advocating for the U.S. and its allies to go to war in Iraq in 2003, um, undermining global efforts to combat climate change, or vilifying people of color at home or abroad as dangerous threats to a, might, a, right, sorry, a white majority. Yeah, I mean, certainly the most recent manifestation of this, um, you know, what we're sort of suggesting with, with that last clause, is what's happening now um, on Fox News, which is this this you know, very sort of strongly kind of nationalist, kind of ethno-nationalist agenda, um, which, you know, which you can also see at their outlet in Australia, Sky News Australia, which, which, where they've effectively recreated Fox News during prime time and are pushing the same sort of anti-immigrant sentiments you know, that, that, that we see here in the United States. Well, I mean, look, I have to, you know, point out right now that the, the danger of this kind of, 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 of activity, because this Sky After Dark program that you're talking about, I mean, one could say, well, look what happened. It was an Australian who went to New Zealand and massacred 50 people in, in two mosques. I mean, yeah. 
Do you see yeah, I mean, the actual tangible fallout of this this policy and this politics? That is Christiana Amanpour on CNN blaming Fox News for the New Zealand shooting. What the fuck? You know, the media's attack on Fox is so hypocritical, it just cracks me up. Because I know Sean Hannity's moon back crazy, and Tucker Carlson says stuff that pisses people off, and so does you know everybody in the evening. But as I've said at nauseum, and all you listening already know, it, it, it's no different than what CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS. You guys carry water for the Democrats, progressive agenda, way worse than Fox could ever do. I mean, how many actual conservative newspapers are there? When has there ever been a conser- any newspaper that's backed a Republican candidate for president? And, and to go that deep because you're getting your ass handed to you in the ratings? That's criminal. That's just fucking criminal. Fucking has been Islamist. And that's what makes it worst. She's an Islamist. She is no different than fucking Omar. She's an anti-Semite. Cut and dry. Always has been. So that was our worst soundbite of the day. Which wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments or suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, FOPpodcast gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at, at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast is going to be um, the 11th. We'll shoot for the 11th of April, Year of Our Lord, 2019. Until then, have a safe week. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. Um, and tune back in next Thursday. I'm sorry it's just a little long. It's It was a lot of information to get out there, but I promise to get underneath that three-hour threshold come Thursday. Thanks for all those that went to the old catalog. I, I saw a lot of plays, like 300 plays last week. Uh, I didn't even do a podcast. So that's fantastic. I thank you. And um, please tune back in Thursday. Y'all take care. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.